Hello and welcome to episode 215 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 15th of November 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And Tom Senior. Hello. Dual glass in Tom Senior. Absolutely. Wine to his right, beer to his left. That's how I do. <laughs> Which way will he go? Uh, wine first, then beer. And then, I don't know what the rhyme is. No. We tr- discussed this <laughs> we discussed earlier. discussed this earlier. We've completely no forgotten what that mnemonic is. Feeling mortal fear. <laughs> I feel that every moment of the day. <laughs> yes. Wine, then, then, then beer. it's true, but it doesn't entirely cover the situation. <laughs> <laughs> A recipe for terror. Uh, so, by the time you're listening to this, Star Wars Battlefront 2 will be out, which seems to be the, the nexus of the week's gaming ire misery yes as we as we start off the pod with our traditional ire section the misery <laughs> mm. nexus of the week is uh, yes that. yeah the, the uh to the extent that i was actually genuinely a little bit uh uh appalled i think is that the word yeah i think it's probably the word uh to, to click onto the bbc world news pa- right. uh, homepage, um which uh, i do from time to time to find out what's happening in the world um to see uh Two stories about the negative player response to Battlefront 2's microtransaction systems uh, neatly juxtaposed with the rest of the world's news, which included the shooting of a North Korean defector, the coup in Zimbabwe, and something else, uh, the the Iraq-Iran earthquake Mm. disaster, um, which I appreciate that that channel has a a tech column, but it really put things in perspective in terms of... (laughs) yeah. Sure news, is. you know. <laughs> Needless to say, that is the uh, the thing. What is happening right now in the games business? And yeah, it's a it's a weird one. So on top of this, this has all been the game's actually out. Well, yesterday, if you're listening to this on Saturday when this part is coming out, um, the game came out yesterday, but it came out on the Origin Early Access thing, mm. not Early Access. What do they call that? Uh, EA Access. EA Access. So early access, access. Mm. Yep. Um, <laughs> and um, electronic access. Yeah. Um, and upon doing so, or like the first X number of hours came out, as as happened with Mass Effect Andromeda, and like Mass Effect Andromeda, that has done nothing but tremendous damage to the <laughs> game's uh, reputation. So at the top of this, you kind of have to wonder how long that's going to keep happening. <laughs> you know. Well, they have um, course-corrected, haven't they? Uh, and I suppose there's virtue in doing that before the main launch rather than after the main launch. Mm. If if there was still something to discover about the public's reaction to this, because didn't they already do a beta? Yeah, with, yeah and people were furious then. then. Yeah. But, but, so I, I guess the progression system must be either different or they expect it to be different in this version because there's been huge uproar over the amount of time or money it takes to e.g. unlock a hero yeah um i think um, someone said it takes 40 hours to unlock darth vader or luke skywalker um based on sort of some tests they did with timing themselves and how often they earn credits and they did specify that this excluded things like there were challenges to complete and stuff and the first time you complete those you get a chunk of credits and he was excluding that um but then uh yeah that caused uh it, enough of a uh backlash that the uh, an EA representative's reply to a comment on this on Reddit is the most downvoted comment in Reddit history by a factor of about 10. It's about 10 <laughs> times as many downvotes as anything has ever received in the history of Reddit. 
Jesus Christ. And he's like, the reply is like, oh, well, we wanted a, to have a rich, rewarding progression system. And of course, we're listening to you and we'll change this as a, uh, you know, in response. To, uh, they didn't say we'll change it in response to comments, but we're listening and we'll adapt to feedback mm. we receive. So it's basically a kind of open-ended thing of like, we might change this, but it was still like, fuck you <laughs> to hell. People just wanted a man to kick, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. So, so I think to offer some context, people don't know the exact details. I think when that uh, beta test happened, people realized that there were quite, um, game power related things hidden away in loot chests so the game has a system as the first one did called star cards where your kind of special abilities are like cards you have as a deck um so things that would be on a cooldown normal shooter cooldown abilities are things you swap in and out um in the first game you unlocked them but it was really no different to unlocking new loadouts or something in any other shooter of the last decade Hmm. Um, in this one, you unlock like upgraded versions of them as well, which are just like flat out better. It's just right. like this one does 35% more damage than the previous one. And that's based on random chance through a loot box. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that was the thing people were, were upset about first time around. Then I think it was the early access version of the game that demonstrated not, not just that, but also the scale of the grind involved in unlocking hashtag content. And that has, I think, led to this, like, extraordinary backlash. Like, you know, seeing the game, seeing the little screenshot of the game thumbnailed among actual world crises was, was, was sort of funny and disturbing and kind of, you know, one of those, one of those 2017 things. But this seems to have gone, like, wildly deep in terms of how many people are pissed off at it to, yeah. to the extent of it propelling the most downvoted comment in reddit history reddit history <laughs> no. yeah um i'd be really interested to know what sales look like i bet they're still really good yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean so I, I think about this a bunch because so like um blizzard put out a trailer for uh, starcraft 2 going free to play today that um I, I saw it because marsh linked to it and and described it as you know EA, uh, so Blizzard just delivering a sort of sprightly pop to EA's nuts, basically. <laughs> EA's collect, you know, just right in the kneecaps. Um, which is where EA's nuts are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make that less, um, implicitly masculine, but it just ended up being confusing. <laughs> um, and, uh, which is where like a, a father berates his son in a kind of kind way for assuming that Starcraft is a game where it's, it's funny, but you know, is a game where you can buy an advantage. Like, no, we don't do that in, in my house. This is StarCraft. We do things like we used to, uh, which is fine, which is fine for Blizzard to do. Of course they can do that as long as they don't mention Hearthstone in the same sentence, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, but, um, it's clear that like, given that this comes at the head of, well, it feels like every podcast we've done in the last month has opened with some discussion of some like loot crate controversy or something like that. Uh, it feels like this must come to a head somewhere where, publishers maybe now get scared of it but it doesn't mean you won't see it immediately but it means that maybe you stop seeing it next year Hmm. as publishers rush to strip it out in favor of something else because this is the kind of press you get or maybe it won't matter at all (laughs) i suspect the latter um i think uh that's i mean they've been in games for so long we've said this before like variations on this system have existed in many many games in fact even if it's not explicitly a loot box for example world of warcraft's early progression systems were far, far more egregious than like 40 hours to unlock Darth Vader if you actually wanted to progress. Like p- progression system balance has been a perennial problem for lots of games that have tried to become mm. long-form games. And that seems to be what people are annoyed at 
in this precise moment about Battlefront 2. It's the amount is that you've paid 60 bucks for a game and uh, you expect to be able to play Darth Vader straight away, but actually there's loads and loads of, you know, effort that needs to go into getting it. But that's loads of games do that with their systems. I think the impression I got was that the the time it took to unlock these things was was uh being reacted to because it was seen as the, and this is why you have to pay for it. Like they they make the manual the, the free progression so arduous that uh, they push you towards spending the i heard i don't I haven't checked this figure but somebody said it was two thousand one hundred dollars to unlock everything there's <laughs> like there's some really bad maths going into the those figures that people are doing on websites and on reddit and stuff like uh so for example i, I believe as far as why you can't actually just buy characters uh you can buy boxes which have a chance of giving you credits and credits mm. are what you use to buy characters and you earn credits by competing matches and stuff but it's a little bit less straightforward than uh, you could just simply buy your way past it in the way that you know a lot of internet comments are trying to make out that is, is the case if you were desperate to get vader and you were happy to play the rng loot box game to get credits out of loot boxes then of course you could potentially put you know an infinite amount of money into that system because it's an rng system <laughs> but sensibly no one would do that i mean not, not even like a, a rich mccormick uh, bless him who you know, <laughs> fell down <laughs> fell down the um, our friend the whale uh, the, <laughs> uh, but it, uh, richard absolutely loved you know uh, ultimate What's the, the ultimate uh, FIFA system? Ultimate, uh, right. ultimate team, ultimate team. Uh, that, uh, and course. Mass Effect Three loot boxes as well. Yeah, so <laughs> Rich has like a soft spot for that stuff. Um, but I think like with the, with those examples, you can see yourself materially unlocking the characters straight away with any given box. I don't think that's the case with this. Uh, I think like you can't just buy a box and then Darth Vader pops out. It's not quite like that. It's like I think it's. A, Structural progression system mm. problem. I still, I, 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 so the thing EA said is that they're going to redress the tuning and they're going to change some things about, like, they're going to make it so that progression with a specific character unlocks things for that character. Cause I mm. think that was one of the issues people had was right. that you, your progress is completely general. Mm. Whereas, um, you know, I, I agree with you that these aren't unprecedented systems, but I think if you get the tuning sufficiently wrong, they become almost like pre- unprecedentedly bad. Right. Like it's almost like this entire thing is about like, like a pain tolerance level. And so if the game is like, you know, so the games that I love, like Titanfall has, mm. you know, on like tons of unlocks. And I know that, um, Discord regular slash walking CNC wiki man Kane, uh, hated the game because it just really doesn't gel with unlock systems. And, and Titanfall 2 has quite a lot of like, um, it gives you like, uh, another EA game, as it happens, it gives you like sort of like a pyramid of unlock things. So you have like your your base level, which is like your account wide thing that goes up a little bit every game, mm. and then you get the you know particular kind of character you were playing, particular kind of titan you were using, and then you have the particular guns you were using, the particular loadout you were using within that thing. Yeah, and I really like that system actually because it was scaled so that you finish a match and everything goes up one. But it's also it's quite specific, but it's also branching out. So you feel like you've gotten cool new skins for the things that you like using and you've also unlocked something in a different direction that might pull you somewhere else in the system. So I do, I, I personally think these systems can create a kind of fun progression set. Um, but crucially actually in that game in Titanfall 2, the unlocks aren't random. You know, everything progresses down a tree essentially based on where you're investing your time. And I'd be, f- I think there's a big difference in feel between that and Battlefront's kind of strictly, at the moment, strictly random system where, you're just getting generic points to invest anywhere in this big web of nodes that you'll probably never see the end of. And when the option to try and buy your way out of it, and inevitably when the option comes along, when there's, you know, season passes and DLC, when your characters plop in, Hmm. um, I just, I can see it getting, 
oppressive. I mean, and this is also interesting because they've committed to things like maps being free for Battlefront, maps and modes, so they avoid splitting the community. So they've learned that lesson, but it feels like they've dialed, like, the shitty end of monetization up to 11 in order to make up for that potential shortfall. I think a lot of it is just terribly communicated as well. Like, yeah. the UI is abysmal for all of that stuff. Like, it's so... It's like a catacomb you go into, perhaps mm. by design or perhaps just mm. because it's poorly designed. Uh, and I think that like Jeff Fazek made a very good comment on Twitter about this, where he said that, um, see, so screenshotted like the, that, uh, the comments about, you know, I've paid 60 bucks out and I have to grind to get Vader. And, uh, Chet said that, um, like once upon a time, this would look like player entitlement, but the player conversation with EA is so broken at this point that, it's easy to see the player side far more easily. It's, mm. it's not just about this one game. It's about EA's uh, reputation for doing this sort of thing across their entire, uh, yeah. their entire, you know, the library. Yeah. I feel like this is an opportunity for them to come out because people, when, when Battlefront, when I say Battlefront one, I mean the previous one in this, in the EA <laughs> right. iterations of the Battlefront yeah, games, yeah. right? When that came out, people were sort of upset that it felt like quite a, a, a slight, offering including me actually and there's that you know where's the single player campaign where's all of this stuff um and they have addressed that in terms of it's a much bigger game it covers all three eras of star wars it has the single player campaign you know all this stuff Hmm. and so for them to then take stuff that was just sort of available by default in the first game like heroes and then lock them away whether that system is well balanced or not again feels like this it feels like every time you have an opportunity to repair the damage to their reputation they fuck up somewhere else you know what i mean like it it feels like they could make it's it's fucking star wars you're gonna make a ton of money from it regardless and they probably are gonna make a ton of, ton of money from it regardless but it does feel like you're right not just the com- communication but the sort of like min maxing of revenue opportunities within the game is so transparent that it just generates a bad feeling mm. like i feel weird about it because i actually would really like to play it yeah like you know, um, you feel like you can't trust it though. That's the thing I think. Like it feels as though if, uh, you, you're paying for a product that is going to try and suck you into different, you know, ways of paying again. And that's, that's the poisonous feeling. Then. Yeah. And there, like, the amount of credits you need to unlock those heroes, um, they reduced it by 75%, <laughs> which that also breaks your trust in the system, either the system before or the system now, or just their, yeah. their even their mm. interest in making a system that's balanced. It's just, if you can change something by a factor of, <laughs> that then uh it was either drastically wrong before or maybe it's drastically wrong now or maybe the whole thing is just a mess what it suggests is that the value criteria is not what's right for the player's ideal experience it's what can we get away with yeah basically that and that's the, and then it's like oh sorry overtune this one that, that, you know. <laughs> if it had only been the second most downvoted comment in reddit history they would have used about 25 percent <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny because you know this this is ultimately a multiplayer game i'm not very interested in bolted to a single player Star Wars shooter yep. by the guy who wrote Spec Ops the Line and my friend Mitch. Mm. <laughs> so that's, a, that's the thing that in any other circumstance I would be kind of rushing to get. And I, I still might just lump the 50 quid for the eight, pa- eight hour single player campaign. Right. Yeah. Cause I don't know how else I'm going to get to play it. You know, like I, I want it uncoupled from all of that shit, mm. but, and I, I, and you know, I, I know that I have a, you know, I know that Star Wars is an easy in for me. Like, I, I will probably, you know, invest a bit in something with that title. I do, I do wonder what 
Lucasfilm will make of this situation mm. because that is a company that has taken its goodwill building exercises pretty seriously in the last couple of years. Like, um, obviously, you know, uh, Star Wars is a hyper commercial entity, you know, uh, both Lucasfilm and Disney and, you know, everyone involved. This is not, you know, art for art's sake. It is a business, mm. but they have, you know, taken a lot of strain to kind of, always be creating the right kind of experience for fans, that kind of thing, basically. that I've seen that a few different contexts, including Star Wars Celebration. And in terms of, like, how people communicate, like, obviously there's, there's some controversy about the secrecy that all Star Wars things are held in and the kind of, the sometimes kind of, um, the ways in which directors drop in and out of those projects and stuff like that, and it's centrally managed nature. But a lot of that feels like it's genuinely out of a corporate but I think Ernest's desire to kind of make something that's genuinely a positive experience for the vast majority of people who encounter it. So they've made this kind of redoubled effort to um, support the fact that Star Wars has a new young female audience because mm. of the, the characters of the latest films and to kind of back that up with new waves of toys and uh, games and cartoons and things that are not created to exclusively cater to that audience, but don't ignore that audience in the way that you know things like star wars traditionally have mm. so there's all this effort to make sure that like it's the most accessible entertainment thing in the world and you are guaranteed a good experience if you buy into it and you can trust your kids with it and all of this stuff that i think is probably um possibly dystopian in the sense that they want it to be a completely f- frictionless water slide that you go down to and then you have no money left but it's it's better than we are going to trick people into liking this and just rob them for everything they're worth, right? There's, there's some element of like, we're going to use our resources to try and make something that's better than it was. And so I wonder if it, I don't think that the, these business models in themselves would be off-putting, but I wonder if this degree of backlash, like if sort of front page, you know, I, I if you Google like Andrew House or something today, hmm. um, that this story is everywhere, right? This story is the only story about EA at the moment. It's basically the only story about Star Wars at the moment. Like, you know, it's, you wonder at what point would Lucasfilm step in and say, please make something that doesn't generate this kind of <laughs> attention, please. Yeah. Like, mm. we don't want the word Star Wars and giant ripoff. Please don't have a negative story about Star Wars on the front page of a world news site. <laughs> exactly. All of them as well, like, mm. at the same time. Yeah, I think uh, backlashes have short-time effects, but what ends up happening is the company's very good at just reframing the same thing in a different way. Mm. So look at um Always Online DRM. Remember that? Fury, <laughs> like in 2012, mm. 2013, whenever that was. Ubisoft with their just insanely draconian, just, you know, stops you playing the game if you get logged off in Assassin's Creed 2 as it used to be. Um Well, almost all games have a form of Always Online DRM now. They've just <laughs> streamlined it and reframed it and done it in the background and people accept it now. And it I is, think similar things will happen with this. It, it did actually cause a fuss with... um uh hitman yeah, the episodic ones um that has a pretty uh i think it's a mixed reviews on steam or, or something around that uh region and a lot of the negatives are about the fact that it has to be always online even though it's mm. like entirely single player game um that that game actually does let you play offline a bit but it it's just what it locks off is so offensive <laughs> it's just like it's not only that you don't get the stuff you've unlocked because you know you unlock weapons and stuff by doing challenges and that's all authenticated on their server but you can't even like it won't even tell you how you did on the level it will just hide stats from you and you can't complete challenges you can't even see what challenges are so it's just like 
clamps down on a whole chunk of the game that doesn't feel like there's any reason to. Mm, right. I think, I, I see where you're coming from, Tom. I think, I think, however, the scale, like, the scale of the backlash gets bigger every time and it attracts more and more attention. Mm. And always on DRM is a sort of hard problem to frame to somebody who, for example, doesn't really know how games work. Um, Darth Vader costs you £2,000. Right. <laughs> is not. That's a bad headline, isn't it? It's a, you know, it's, it's easy, even though that's not true mm. in any practical sense. True. Yep. It, this, this, this feels like enough of a, because, you know, even the, uh, what was the other game that had this issue recently? Um, not Call of Duty. Call of Duty was the exploding loot crates to Normandy Beach. Need for Speed had some. Need for Speed. There was another one recently that maybe it was Battlefront. No, it was and Battle I just, Front. I don't understand yeah. how time works. <laughs> I think it was the beta. Yeah. You know, when this thing happened with this game earlier, but <laughs> it feels like if anything was going to sort of ensure that the, the loot box conversation really doesn't go away, it might be a high profile Star Wars related PR crisis. Yeah, that's true. Right. Um, if anything was going to do it. And basically, if it survives this mm. without some changes or some sort of, um, then it is probably going, never going to go away. Right. Um, and that's maybe a good reason not to invest in it, no matter how much I want to play the single player, basically. Not that I mean, my boycott's going to mean anything because it's like, it's like boycotting air. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it will kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. No. Um, I will say that actually, I really enjoyed the loot box system in Mass Effect 3. Uh, yeah. Mass Effect 2, was it in there as well? No, just 3. Just 3. Um, that felt like a really fun progression system to me. And I enjoyed mm. just randomly getting classes and not knowing quite what I was going to get. There was actually, it was the point where the RNG didn't feel exploitative. It felt exciting. And I could pay money, but I never did and never felt the need to. I could play a few match, a few rounds of a game that I was enjoying anyway to unlock stuff. And that felt like a sweet spot for this stuff. It's become more egregious. Mm. Since. I think, I, I honestly think that it is just like, I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, emergency response to this was to remove heroes from the unlock system because mm. they weren't in the first game. You unlocked stuff, but you didn't unlock heroes. Right. I think if they did that one thing, they could, they'd, ironically, at that point, they'd probably get away with the fact that there's genuine player power hidden away in the loot boxes, but the fact that they had removed these slightly more egregious <laughs> right. things than that. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe this is some genius marketing thing. It probably isn't because it's not gone well, if so. Mm. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's a funny old, it's, it's, it's funny when, the product is mainstream enough like this that this is now a conversation that's being had much more broadly than yeah. simply yeah, our sure. traditional channels. And I say that because I know that I'm probably going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the loot box thing and this are two slightly separate things that have become collated by the conversation around these games at the moment. So I think the this hero progression thing isn't necessarily loot box controversy. I think mm. uh, th- I think those are separate things. Uh, yeah, I think I think there's a retention mechanics bottomless spending mm. kind of anxiety right. yeah yeah that this taps into as definitely, well as loot definitely. boxes uh there was a really interesting twitter thread by a man whose name i've forgotten you might be able to help tom because i think you <laughs> maybe linked it um about how one of the reasons that one of the reasons that these kind of loot box crises are interesting particularly when it pertains to like pay to win games is it's a it's a rare environment where people of all wealth bands in the world are kind of participating in the same system. And therefore, one of the reasons it upsets people so much is it actually highlights mm. real-world wealth division in a way that very few things do. For the, the reason being that in like traditional retail, people with not a lot of money don't go to the same shops as people with a lot of money. So even though um, a very, very rich person 
might spend £2,000 on a shirt. They don't do that in Primark, you know? That they don't go on into a competitive environment <laughs> with people who are shopping it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they don't go to Safe Square and then, you know, have a fashion off. <laughs> so yeah, so the notion that you can wander into a game and see someone walk by wearing mm. like three grand's worth of hats, um, it, it actually confronts you not with the broken systems of the game, although I would contest them maybe are shitty systems. Mm. It can, it confronts you with the actual reality of the world in some ways you know like because um there's an interesting study into how people sort of um don't really really don't appreciate how how bad the wealth gap is in the world right like eight people six of them who are american control like more than half of the world's wealth like and that's you know and that's something that's not easy for you to think about buying all the loot boxes aren't they well yeah but but what i'm saying is like you know and then that you know trickles down from there what well, doesn't trickle down that's the issue but like you know that that sort of problem kind of scales down mm. from there like a ziggurat and um or a scheme that looks like a pyramid for example <laughs> and like um and even people in the middle of that still have vastly more wealth than the people below them so a game where everyone likes a bit of whatever cod or something mm. so any game that allows you to spend an extreme amount of money and demonstrate that either in terms of power or how you look or things like that just highlights upsetting differences in people's ability to spend on their entertainment i think um uh the this is the worst possible implementation of rng systems i think that's the other mm. problem here is like yeah you can sort of brute force your way through it with loads and loads of money and you know some people will do that i think the the great strategy is that often the people doing that can't actually afford to do it yeah and that actually you know it's the rng system itself that's offensive it's the idea that uh someone next door can open a box and get an amazing thing and you can spend loads of money and never get that thing because it's just rolling dice forever and that's what that that's the most kind of grotesque aspect of it really and the idea that people could be sucked into trying yeah. and trying and trying yeah i've seen um uh a interesting perspective from someone who um uh basically has a um uh, some kind of mental problem uh that makes her especially vulnerable to these kinds of systems where um if there's a certain set of things and having all of them is in some way flagged up as um as completing the set um uh, that's incredibly compulsive and systems like this where paying to get all the things is incredible is possible and incredibly expensive and uh and difficult are basically exploitative to people with that mindset mm. It's an unknown amount of money as well. Like you don't know how much you're going to have to spend to eventually get this stuff if you're buying loot boxes. Yeah, and, and it might seem like it's just around the corner. But right. If you have a gambling problem, it's um, the bottomless thing. Is that's that's what I fundamentally mistrust about it. Is I, I I'm not going to buy this game because I've no interest in engaging with that type of system. Really. Yeah, yeah. That's what bothers me about it. Like I think ironically, if they were selling the like eighty quid collector's edition, right. which came with everything, mm. I would think about it. Right. And then probably late one night. <laughs> I did not tell anyone that I'd done that. I think uh, I, I actually, I never thought I'd say this, but I welcome subscription charges for games coming back. Mm. <laughs> I would much rather like uh, just a flat fee and knowing what I'm getting for the money I'm spending over the course of the year, which is what I get with Destiny, for example. I know I'm going to have to spend a certain amount on DLC packs and I'm happy to do that. And that's the subscription service, basically. It is, yeah. And, I, and that helps, you know, people get their money also maintains the integrity of the game system so you don't have to start getting into these like really awful kind of you know yeah it's just so empty when you invest in this stuff yeah like, it's yeah not, it sucks it sucks. really sucks 
It sucks. <laughs> in conclusion, it's terrible. Um, yeah, and it's it's just it's a shame. I, I feel for um, for anyone who worked on that game, including well, particularly people who worked on the single, but anyone who worked on it actually, because I think um, I'm looking. I, I'd love to play it because I think it's an interesting mm. example. On on the complete flip side, it's an interesting example of like getting multiple different studios to work together. I really like the idea of a you know, given this, given this, we live in this world where these big games have to be made by multiple studios across different territories. I like the idea of giving, not lumbering dice for the challenge of making a single player game, letting them focus on the multiplayer games that they've always been better at making, letting a new studio be headed up with, you know, good single player cred people make the single player and giving like all the vehicles to a criterion who made burnout and being like, okay, burnout people make us X-Wings now. Like that seems really cool to me, and yeah, I'd like yeah. to see what can emerge from. Essentially, I want to see what can what can emerge from Mega Money. I want to <laughs> see what Mega Money can do right. to the spaceships that I like. And I th- and with any system like this, one of the things that sucks about it is that these are big studios with lots of people in them, and lots of individually talented people, and you know, great technical artists and programmers and so on. And when this sort of thing becomes the only story about a game, I feel this way every time this happens. But it really does. Um, devalue the work, the hard and time consuming and life consuming technical work of producing a game like this. Mm. And when, when it comes down to something like a business decision, like microtransactions, putting people off, for example, you know, there's a, you know, there's a new Star Wars, a, a, a canon Star Wars story with a new female protagonist at the lead of it. And that should be something that is worth celebrating as this industry kind of changes and gets better at stuff. And yet it's, that's fucking lost, right? Like mm-hmm. that was the screenshot on the, on the BBC news front page was, you know, a little picture from the reveal trailer of, uh, Ginny Nagarankar as, as the main character of the game, which, which, you know, in, you know, that could be the fluffy end of the, the news story that like, Hey, there's a new star Wars story out. Maybe you don't know about it. And here it is. And here's the cool main character and all the rest of it. Nope. Like we're lost in, we're lost in business land. And that's just, again, again, that's the reason that I wouldn't be surprised if Lucasfilm were going like, Oh shit. Like if they, when they put out a new film, this is not the kind of conversation they want people having about star Wars. Like it's a giant rip off. It's, it's quite it's, close to the release of the next film as well. well yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. That's, that's not an accident either. It's like, yeah. Hey, it's a month to go towards star Wars yeah, until yeah. star Wars. You're all really excited. Why not? You know, why not play with this? Mm. Right. Yeah, man. It's going to make so much fucking money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, speaking of things making money, which is, uh, speaking of businesses and games, <laughs> IO, we've got to return to Hitman. We've got to talk about Hitman every single episode, Tom. Yeah. Uh, just briefly, there was a, um, interview with IO on Gamma Sutra in which they discuss, you know, going independent and, um, saying what a big deal it is. And the interesting thing in it was, oh, one thing is that the Game of the Year edition they released recently, Square Enix get no money from that. That's 100% IO, um, uh, which is cool. Um, and also they were just, uh, way more positive than I expected about the whole Hitman episode mm. experiment. Um, in that they sort of admitted they got a lot of things wrong and they had some technical issues and, um, uh, and they, so they changed, I don't remember what changed, what the change was, but they mentioned changing the sort of proposition before launch, like uh, the ways you could buy it, uh, must have changed at some point. And that confused people and caused problems. But, um, they said that the live aspect of it, like having events that happen at particular dates and the elusive targets and that kind of stuff, um, and having new content to kind of, um, tell people about on a regular basis was a huge success and it brought in loads of new players. Hmm. So I think that game was maybe done better than we thought because it was sort of seen as a bit of a, um, a bomb, mm. um, particularly because <laughs> it's 
uh, owner sold it <laughs> right after. But uh, as far as I are concerned, they're very pleased with that. And they're kind of uh, the gist of this interview is that they sort of want to double down on that next time and do even more. Yeah, sort of I'd say that like anecdotally on Gamer, we covered it loads and loads because there were loads of kind of yeah. grab points. Yeah, and it's, a, it's become a joke on this podcast that we just cover Hitman all the fucking <laughs> yeah. time. There's always, there's always like, a Hitman thing like, happening and we, and we like Hitman. Um, it it may have things. been an indirect inspiration for me doing a limited time launch event at Heat Signature. Yeah, <laughs> some kind of shipment that was elusive in some way. <laughs> elusive gun. Yeah. Um, Yes, I mean, I, I, incidentally, so that interview's on gi.biz.com, just in case you're looking for it. For the show. All right, sorry. Um, so, um, but yeah, like, I'd be, like, I, I think we've said this before, because we never stop talking about Hitman. <laughs> but <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be very happy to see that system become just a regular thing, yeah. just with, you know, improvements and to all of the things we've said every time that it comes back <laughs> yeah. again. But yeah, like, you know. That's, I mean, and also maybe this highlights the difference between publisher expectations and what can, what can hypothetically sustain a developer that mm. maybe links into last week's chat about the current reviles of what feel like mid-level, mid-level, yeah. either mid-level studios generally or like the biggest indies as they, as people, mm. like, as companies like Telltale struggle and, and, and so on. You know, this is an example of, I guess, something that's good enough for IO, presumably not being good enough for Square. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, it feels like you can amicably part ways at that point. So yeah. This is, I bet there are yeah. loads of cases like this where the, the the game is making the kind of money the developer would be delighted with and could easily keep going under, mm. but the publisher uh, or the parent company who owns them uh, is only interested in putting all of their weight behind some real cash cows or right. behind some things that make infinite money. They're interested in the ceiling, the kind of profit ceiling yeah. thing. And if it's not as high as they thought it would be, then they could put that money elsewhere and actually get that. Yeah, exactly. That yeah, I feel out. like, I feel that way now. It feels like over the last month, actually, this feeling's evolved. But like, I do feel that like we have to start thinking of the big publishers, by which I mean EA, Activision, Ubisoft. Um, as being an almost like a tier of their own now. Not that we need like new words. Like it's not like there's a, there's an, there's an extra A. It's not like <laughs> ah, four A's. Don't go to it's four just, A's. It's just, <laughs> it can't be done. It's just like, yeah, it, it, it's just screaming after a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> um, Appropriately. Um, but, um, it's not that. It's that like they are at a level where it's not simply about creating big budget games that sell well. It's about creating hyper efficient service mm. game engines that sort of succeed from a business point of view on every tier at once like they're a premium product that also can can make a bottomless amount of money after yeah. the fact yeah it's a, a service game is ongoing there are loads of different revenue points that you know revenue streams within that product like i mean destiny's the a great example i'm not sure that their microtransaction stuff is that compelling but you know as a service game that's going to keep on making money and making money then that's a great yeah, example yeah. for activision although it'd be interesting to see if that game has made enough money yeah. I don't know. If I, it's I, been I mean, it's about what their expectations are, isn't it? Yes. I don't know what their shareholders would want. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the, the safest job at EA is probably like the person who makes furniture for The Sims. Honestly, <laughs> I think The Sims is a really interesting example of like probably, um, you know, it keeps getting big expansions. It, it could quietly ticks around. The games press doesn't cover it that much that often, mm. but you know, that's got to make a shitload of money. Yeah. Basically constantly because there's always a new thing coming out. Mm. There's always more money to spend. It's really fucking expensive to get everything that exists for the Sims for. It always has been though. Like the Sims has always been that. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's the only thing. thing people play, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, between EA and Activision, they're basically dividing the market on the only games people play, mm. right? Like COD, FIFA, 
you know, swap yeah. something out for The Sims. And actually, a lot, a lot of their most successful stuff is actually outside of our world, really. Like, yeah. uh, it is your FIFAs and your Sims are, are being played, and uh, football managers and things like that are being played by people who yeah. are into those things, not into games as a kind of mm. hobby. Actually, in that context, I wonder if I would still include Ubisoft in that triumvirate mm. because obviously they're a big company and they make a, a bunch of money, but actually their behavior doesn't quite fit that pattern. No. Because obviously something like Assassin's Creed's a big, a big release. But I don't think Origins isn't like laden with microtransaction hooks, is it? Or no, you can buy you can buy like resource packs and legendary weapons and stuff. But mm. it's um, uh, it is it's just never even been a factor for me. Although yeah. I had I had, did have one thought while I was playing that um, uh, that struck me as kind of hilariously uh, potentially evil, which is that you need resources to upgrade your. Uh, you know, like the damage that your hidden blade does and the damage that your melee hmm. weapons do. And, uh, uh, it's a big deal because it's universal to your character. So even if you, if you upgrade melee damage, it's not just upgrading that weapon, it's upgrading all melee weapons you ever use forever. And to do that, you need to, uh, get, uh, some resources from like raiding, uh, convoys and stealing their metal or whatever. But anything that's like leather, you get it from killing an animal. Um, and, for whatever reason, something in my brain is broken and I no longer have any trouble with killing animals in games. <laughs> like, well, actually, no, that's not true because I remember we talked about Dishonored recently and I avoided mm. killing all the dogs. There's, in some cases, it bothers me and in some cases, it doesn't. Mm. Is that thing um, Assassin's dogs? Creed. I think it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's, it's just, uh, they become very much resource nodes to me in Assassin's Creed and I just harvest them in incredibly efficient ways and it's very satisfying. I don't think of them as, as animals at all. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's how real animal welfare (laughs) (laughs) begin. So you need a lot of it. You need to like kill, you know, I I just discovered, um, uh, in a level 29 side quest that crocodiles are incredibly sacred to (laughs) Egyptians. And to the point where, when Bayek discovers that some smugglers have, uh, some people have set up like a secret, shop where they are uh, killing crocodiles to make like bags from it he's livid and literally says they deserve to die and then you're expedition to hunt them down and kill them and i am wearing 42 crocodiles on my <laughs> wrist alone <laughs> i have murdered scores of crocodiles they never told me they were sacred have you, if have you found that the, i would have avoided them is it the city of crocodilopolis yeah which i i just love that that was actually a <laughs> historical thing that you know they, they named crocodile town crocodilopolis <laughs> Um, yeah, um, yeah, right. fucking it's, crocodiles. It's, it's weird how, um, Ubisoft games especially distort uh, that stuff. Like- so the, the evil thing that I was going to say was, um, mm. uh, uh, I was reflecting on the fact that I don't seem to have a problem with killing like deer for, to get leather or whatever. Mm. Um, and then, uh, I had also noticed that it's possible to buy resource packs with real money and hadn't been tempted because I'm like, I quite enjoy the game of getting this. And there is, God, if you have really have a problem with like killing cute, innocent animals, you would have to pay real money to avoid it. Basically, <laughs> That's the only way you do it is just pay money to not have to kill the animals. The vegan buyout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You buy Soylent crocodile skin. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, like, I think it's interesting because I would almost now think of EA, or sorry, Ubisoft as being like a big Bethesda. This is this game is all weird. <laughs> so what I mean is that like so Bethesda are interesting, I think, because mm. they make you know they've got a track record now of years and upon years of obviously they've experimented with things like paid mods that have been unpopular. That's one <laughs> of the top ten most downloaded comments on Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, but Gabe Nero responding to that. But f- predominantly they make single player, chunky single player campaigns. Yeah, it's pretty old school actually. And old school shooters yeah. like Wolfenstein, Prey, Quake. New, well, I suppose New Quake is a free to play thing. Doom, I mean um dishonored that sort of thing and then ubisoft are kind of interesting because they do make these massive open world games and, and stuff like that with microtransaction hooks but they also made things like mario rabbids 
mm. which I think, you know, obviously that's going to sell well and it has done extremely well critically, but they've got quite a good hit rate. So I'm sort of now wondering where you kind of, I think their place in the sort of triumvirate of, um, triumvirate of shite business mechanics was based on maybe the, the stuff like the DRM of a couple of years ago when they were the story, the company generating yeah. those kind of, uh, consumer rights stories. And now they've kind of slipped in the good way into the sort of just a big game publisher kind of slot. Mm. Whereas like we do need a level above that reserved for the companies who I don't really think you can trust with your money. Yeah. It's interesting. Like if they see it working for EA and Activision, I'd expect them to hundred percent go that way for their shareholders. <laughs> mm. Uh, I'm actually very interested to see what happens with Anthem next year with EA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because like there's, there'll be, finalizing the monetization hooks probably as we speak for that game and you know they're going to have plans for this and i wonder if they're, they're going to alter or change or yeah that, that i think is, is you know why i'm most interested to see like because ultimately yeah these things will probably make money anyway hmm. but traditionally like you know a lot of this stuff comes down to not necessarily how much money you made but how badly were your investors spooked hmm. and it could be that something like this is sufficient to spook investors and even if EA fights a winning battle to turn around and say, yes, but look how much money we've made, you'd be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see if this had a knock on effect in terms of what decisions do you get made in the future because they did row back map pack subscription season passes, right? Yeah. I wonder if that's because they actually saw how the audience numbers, the player numbers actually suffered based yeah, on yeah. those, uh, you know, dividing map pack things. And there's an interesting one because it's, um, launching a brand new IP from scratch and perhaps they need to, might need to be more forgiving to get people on board with that before, you know, without actually going all in on the monetization straight away. It's just, it would be really interesting to see what they do. Yeah, it will be. And, mm. and also because that's Bioware, right? Yeah. So how's, yeah, I don't know. I don't Who know knows? why they're making the game. But... What, what it would be like. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've talked about the industry monetization practices for a good 40 minutes. So that was a lot of, it was, but you know, hey, it, is, it is the thing, right? Like, mm. I, I do think it is the unresolved crisis. And the we have solved it now. So. We have solved it. So <laughs> it's worth it. Um, Another week on I, the Quake Grove. Yep. I drank an entire can of beer and <laughs> somehow ended up with no solutions. Uh, despite everything <laughs> I was weird. promised. It like, usually <laughs> works. Um, join me for my YouTube series, Beer Lies. Um, <laughs> what have you been playing, Tom? I've been playing <laughs> Injustice 2. Oh, cool. Uh, Gods Among Weasels, as my girlfriend calls it, for some reason. <laughs> why does, why does she call it that? She just sort of said the word weasel. What is it actually called? Uh, Gods Among Men? I guess. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, isn't it Gods? Gods Among Us. Gods it's Among, among Us. Like, like, it's like Gods Among Wesley or something. Wasn't the first one called Gods Among Us? <laughs> oh. Injustice, it was, the first one was... In, Injustice Gods Among Us. Yeah. Which is, because it's not to be confused in, with the Wolf Among Us. Injustice this, to God's Still Among speaking Us. Speaking of confusion, is this... Uh, a super beat em up, or is it a thing about a guy who can fire lightning from his hands and like? You're thinking of Infamous, yeah. Okay. Injustice yeah, is, is the, a super beat em up. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So, Injustice Two: God's Humongous uh, is a game about all of DC's like bottom of the barrel, like C and D list <laughs> characters beating the crap out of each other for the weakest reasons you can imagine, <laughs> but with very uh, a surprisingly. Uh, it, surprisingly well-produced cutscenes and things. You should call it unfamous. <laughs> unfamous. Uh, you, you've got your Batmans, you've got your, your Supermans in there as well. Uh, I've heard of Batman, heard of Superman. Um, but it's like when you you run into a cutscene and suddenly like it's like Ice Chap 
and <laughs> Firefellow. <laughs> it is I, Ice Chap, and I'm here with Firefellow. I think I know exactly who you mean. <laughs> I've actually already forgot what it, like it is. Ice Captain Frost. Captain Frost. <laughs> and it depends. There's quite a few different firemen. There's a lot of different firemen. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it if actually if it's, it's the one that's most commonly associated with Captain Frost? He's a Flash villain. Oh fuck! What the fuck is his name? Is Captain Boomerang in it? Not yet, That's but there's every chance. Shame. To be honest, <laughs> I, f- I fought a giant ape that was hyper intelligent. Gorilla like, Grod. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Well, I, How I, many uh, intelligent gorillas are there in superhero fiction? <laughs> Quite a lot. <laughs> and Overwatch did not invent the hyper intelligent gorilla. Overwatch uh, didn't invent anything. <laughs> <laughs> everything is everything is taken. Uh, what I really enjoy about Injustice is that it's like a perfectly good beat 'em up. Actually, like it's um like it's surprisingly more technical than it really really needs to be for mm. what it is uh and also my total illiteracy in dc law colliding with this like array of just bizarre characters that were probably like in a comic once in the 70s perhaps that everyone has forgotten about but now is like been beautifully modeled in 3d with like astonishing facial animation and just bizarre super you know finishes uh it's it's I'm having a great time with it. It's so much awesome. fun. It just came out on PC, right? It just came out on PC uh day before yesterday, I think. Oh, wow. This week. Um, but I've played it for like four hours solid because I was just so entertained by it. So, um, it's one of these um plots. So they're really good uh at doing single-player campaigns that make you like, give you the opportunity to play every single character. And yet they find a way for the story to make every single character fight every other character pretty much like it's a huge kind of royal rumble loosely tied together by a, like a, a a brainiac world invasion plot that makes no sense but is nonetheless like incredibly entertaining and the cutscenes are just they, the faces look almost mo-capped but it's so like it's really weirdly uncanny valley like uh, mm. i i <laughs> Like, I experienced a kind of weird Sartre and horror when I was watching Superman's lips move. <laughs> and they're, like, sort of fleshy and reflective the way that flesh would be, but also bulging and shrinking in a way that <laughs> muscles just wouldn't do. And also, uh, the movements have very little to do with the sounds coming out of his mouth. So I was just, like, watching Superman's lips in fascination, so just kind of, like, rippled across his face. <laughs> As he says, he's talking some just total nonsense about, you know, how he's in prison and, and Bruce uh, Bruce Wayne has imprisoned him and he's cross about it and he wants to be let out so that he can beat up Brainiac the bad guy and uh but all the while his lips are just going traveling around his face (laughs) it's just like it's like two snakes trapped in a sock (laughs) fighting each other uh and uh, it just all of this stuff is it's it's magic it's my favorite game of the of the week Uh, yeah, I think I saw actually, now that you mention it, um, some cutscenes from this just as like GIFs or, mm. or something on, um, on the internet. And uh, yeah, they were uh, really impressive in terms of the d- digital acting. Like it had a really sort of naturalistic feel to the way mm. people moved and stuff. We had loads of fun with the first one back when we, we were did, flat on console, didn't we? In the yeah. Old flat. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's all the same systems and stuff. So it's all, um, it's very accessible special moves, just back mm. forward a button. Uh, you know, quarter turn backwards in a button, and that does something for every character. And I really like that about this type of beta book, where it's not trying to be hyper technical. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there are depths to it if you want to explore it, but it's not trying to be Street Fighter. It's trying to be, a, you know, a, a game you play after the pub uh, on the couch with your mates. Yeah. And I love that type of beta. It's um, it's by if you're not aware, it's by Nether Realm, who are mm. the people who made the new Mortal Kombat games as well. Right. Yeah, and I always preferred it because it's like less grim. Yeah, for sure. 
have you it's got a loot system right oh god (laughs) (laughs) it too has a loot system and actually there's very it has very little to do with a single player as far as i can tell so far it seems to be much more of a multiplayer thing where right. you can like level up and unlock boxes that give you bits of gear that you put onto your characters that do give you like very incremental, small incremental upgrades to, I don't know, like kicks and stuff. And that sounds like death for a beat em up, like a, a serious competitive beat em up to me. Is so I'm not sure. So why I heard, I, um, I heard Edge's Nathan Brown praise mm. the system. Oh, and okay. he is a big Street Fighter yeah, purist, yeah. possibly one of the biggest I know. And so I think that bodes well. Hmm. <laughs> doing a shrug i wish there was more dress up in the single player though because like, mm. that's the perfect place to do it really where it doesn't matter if you've got any sort of a real advantage of the the ai like it if you if i can give batman a silly hat while i'm going through <laughs> the deeply stupid story that's happening then you know I'm quite happy with that as it as it does it because the, the first game had a deeply stupid story as well mm. and that does have a bit where aquaman leads like an army of crabs to fight someone <laughs> in alcatraz i think yeah um and like has it gone there yet like not alcatraz specifically or even army of crabs specifically but like mm. uh, you know not to that scale but it's definitely as stupid and it, i mean it's there's no way it's not going to get to that point um i've already done the, the aquaman bit it's really it's hilarious it's brilliant and it, again like his face is amazing like they, they're really it's like i feel like i've met him is it more <laughs> or less convincing you do you think than jason momoa jason momoa the actor playing aquaman in justice League, which is like <laughs> out this week uh i've i've not seen the film but I've only seen the trailers, and I would say that he's easily more convincing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he looks like he looks like a WWE wrestler to me in the film. Like, uh, yeah, which maybe he's a really chill for. dude. Jason Momoa oh, in right. real life, he's, it comes across really well in interviews and stuff. But mm. that whole film, that that's that's a weird thing. That must be why they're re- releasing it on PC this week. Right? Yeah, because like, yeah. there's a Justice League movie. Yeah. Mm. It's going to be better than that film. I'm willing to bet. Okay, five Move pounds. Down. Yeah, uh, I'll happily watch uh, the Justice League film on a plane <laughs> in eight months' time. <laughs> But actually, yeah, I, uh, I severely, uh, underestimated Wonder Woman, which I watched on the plane. It's that good, was, isn't it? It's, actually, it's all right. It's a, it's a good, it's actually like a really fun adventure film until the final third. And then it just goes to... It becomes <laughs> spectacularly dumb. <laughs> yeah. But it's, good. Uh, it's a seven out of ten film. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I think like the first two thirds were like, you know, eight out of ten blockbuster. Yeah. And then it <laughs> just shits itself. Yeah. I was, yes. It's interesting. We're becoming a film podcast again. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry. It, it, it was sort of, yes. I thought it was, yes, solid and all right and good more in principle than in practice, if that makes sense. Like, mm. it's great that it exists for what it is. Like, mm. isn't it great that the Wonder Woman film is better than the Batman film? <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, and particularly because it's, you know, a Patty Jenkins movie as well. So that's really cool. Mm. Um, but like, it's not great though. <laughs> no, but I, I enjoy like a sort of fish out of water to disparate people trying to make their way through London phase of the film where yes, it's all just beautifully shot mm. and amazingly the period kind of accuracy of it is just luscious and yeah. really satisfying. And, and there's a lot of, uh, there's lots of like, um, I love the island at the start as well. Their, their vision of, you know, that paradise that they live in is, is really cool. Yeah. And the way that that's shattered. There's loads of really cool stuff in that film apart from the yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> It reminds me about how like, the best parts of the Donna Superman films are the Clark Kent bits, mm. which is the thing that the new DC cinematic universe is completely yeah, lost. Yeah, it's like, really Because it's so uninterested in Superman ever being Clark Kent or, yeah. you know. It just has no humanity whatsoever. One of my favourite scenes in cinema ever 
is uh, Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent fighting a revolving door. Like, he <laughs> yeah. just fails to get out of the door. Like, he's fucking Superman, and he's just exiting his building. And, yeah, he has a prolonged fight with it. It's like, if his glasses fall off and he puts them back on, and he's sort of bumbling. He tries to go backwards through the revolving door. It doesn't work, so he turns around. He's got to get sort of carried along by it. It's just an amazing piece of slapstick yeah, comedy. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I did, I do think, um, oh god, we just, yeah, sorry, films, anyway. Um, yeah, I did think that Thor Ragnarok kind of sent up how much fun superhero films are allowed to be in a way that it's really hard for those DC films to catch up with now, mm. I think. Is his really theme tune in that film a bit like Wonder Woman's theme tune? What? When I was in Thor Ragnarok, every time there's like a sort of iconic Thor moment, the theme tune that plays really reminded me of the Wonder Woman one. Isn't it, isn't it Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin Thor? Don't know. It is. <laughs> so well that's kind of interesting because so um <laughs> let's get into this this is the important so, thing. <laughs> so the this is actually fascinating i'm not gonna get into too deep because <laughs> we are a video games podcast but so they do finally use immigrant thong so, immigrant thong the immigrant <laughs> thong song that that cisco um uh led zeppelin mashup you didn't know you wanted uh is used extensively in um in thor ragnarok which is is such an obvious choice for thor that you know it's kind of they got there eventually but um the Wonder Woman theme, which was actually created for Batman vs. Superman, which is not a good film. Hmm. Um I've forgotten the name of the it's a famous uh cellist who plays it and who composed it, I believe. I think but composed it. But it's a really interesting piece of sound design because it's 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 deliberately anti kind of traditional um sort of uh like sort of ma- masculine soundtrack hero soundtracking. Like it's hmm. sort of um, really interesting in how it's composed and I read something really interesting about it and I'll send the link for the show notes if I can remember where the fuck I read that <laughs> but it's a really interesting piece of musical choice making so it's kind of interesting that you'd link it to um, kind of a bit of classic v- Viking prog hard rock yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I expect yeah. if I heard them next to each other I'd be able to tell you what was different but mm. Mm. anyway uh, what were we talking about? Injustice 2 Injustice 2 uh, better than most of the films <laughs> yeah. from DC, I would say. More fun. And uh, those most of those films deeply lack a sense of fun and a sense of humour. Do you think on PC you'd miss the kind of couch multiplier thing that the original was so good for? On yeah, definitely. You certainly miss that. And also, um, it just drops to 30 frames a second for loads of stuff. Shit. And uh, I'm fine with cutscenes doing that. It's just like a, I'm used to that. But this happens for the special moves. So you're playing like a you know beautifully smooth 60 frames per second looks great big visual upgrade on the first game and then you'll activate like a mega move and these are hilarious they're just really over the top execution you know visualizations of the hero's you know most powerful abilities uh so you've got green lantern who just like puts himself in a giant green mech suit which he's imagined and then you know <laughs> every time he imagines a new bit of it he hits the person with it first so he's like oh i need some gloves so he hits them with the gloves and then puts them on him and then his helmet appears in the middle there and he hits with the helmet and then the helmet <laughs> goes on him and then he points both of his giant gun arms at the guy and blasts them and that's the sort of stuff that you're getting but it, when you activate one of these it drops into 30 frames per second it's really really awkward and like hmm. kind of gross like that's great i i, I I don't mind frame rates really. I don't really care about them unless they're changing all the time, yeah. <laughs> and then it's just really disconcerting and horrible. Um, and so it's it's a real shame that that's that's a problem with it. Uh, so yeah, honestly, I probably would recommend you get it on console really because couch is where it belongs. Mm, it is, yeah, it mm. is a great drop in, drop out. Couch beat em up. Yeah, it is. What is the best super move beat em up thingy? Uh, I like the Green Lantern one. Uh, slightly let down by the Batman one. 
What does he do? Because he runs people over the Batmobile in the first one. Yeah, I love that one. That was really good. Uh, in this one, uh, they do a kind of uh, homage to what was the film where they use like a skyhook? He uses a skyhook to the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, where he dangles the guy at the window and uh, the bat plane comes and takes him away. Oh yeah, the Fulton balloon extraction. <laughs> thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they Fulton balloon extract with the Batmobile and it goes up in front of the moon and then the <laughs> the bat plane flips over. And drops the guy and then shoots them with those missiles. Does the bat plane form the bat symbol against the moon? It, it does. Like in <laughs> 1989, <laughs> Burton Batman. I love that film, man. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, it's it the only reason you flew up there, isn't it, Bruce? <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, and then it shoots them with loads of missiles with bullets. It was like, oh no, not really a Batman. That's full Zack Snyder Batman. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Actually, no, it should be, actually, to be completely fair, mm. the 1989 Batman movie does involve the Batplane. After it silhouettes itself in front of the moon, it then strafes a carnival. <laughs> That's really true, <laughs> And then the Joker shoots it down with one pistol shot. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest pistol. Uh, I do like that film. It's yeah, ridiculous. It's, it's weird. It's very strange. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very strange film. Um, yeah, that's a shame because they're running people over the. I mean, to be fair, it's not like running people over the Batmobile wasn't also. Yeah, it's, sort of, it's, it's weird. Like blunt force trauma just seems less believably lethal than. Yeah, uh, than, like, yeah it's like everything is a scaled up blackjack, right? Yeah. Like it's ultimately just you know clubbing people on the head. If all of his scale. guns fired anvils, it would be fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, that's yeah. sufficiently blunt that it wouldn't really kill anyone. <laughs> It's like, uh, I was watching Logan, and uh, again, I, I did a whole session on this plane. Like, I went through every fucking yeah, Jesus, superhero yeah. movie I've not seen. And I was like, oh, well, that's what Wolverine's claws do to people if, you know, you're actually going to show what those claws would do to people. And yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, which is one of the things I actually like about the film. Yeah, yeah. i so, got a plane journey tomorrow, so I've got this to look forward to. Yeah, just <laughs> mopping up, mopping up superhero films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that sounds, that sounds great. Yeah, Although I kind of want to just play it on a cow yeah now. i'd recommend i see that means to be fair people own steam links that's true right they own them maybe this is a good good excuse to crack it out hmm. what have you been playing tom f i've been playing shadwin unlike everyone else <laughs> because i don't think anyone plays that game um this is a game from frozen bite who did trying and i i had heard of it but i didn't actually play it until recently when I was going through a document of game ideas, a big list of like things I'd like to try someday. Um, and one of them just says, stealth game with rewind brackets. Someone has to do it. And before investing too seriously in that idea, I thought, I'm just going to Google stealth game with rewind and see if there is one. Um, and there is, and it's called Shadwin, <laughs> which I had heard of. And I thought it was the things I knew about it was it was, um, I think I knew it was by Frozen Bite. Um, and, uh, you're you're like a thief lady but you have like a young girl following you and you have to kind of like uh worry about her getting detected as well um and i think i knew it had some kind of time fuckery but i think the thing i'd heard was that it has super hot time which it does and super hot time being time only moves when you do um it is uh but it does also have rewind and that is like it's mentioned but it's like number seven in the list of <laughs> crazy fucking features this game has it's a wildly over ambitious game i think um and it kind of shows in that it's uh pretty just has the feel of a game whose budget was not in line with its ambitions um and it's set in like uh medieval times i was gonna say thief times which is not really a time but uh it just has that it's obviously modeled after thief and it, it has that kind of uh vibe of um it will never be daylight in this world for example mm. <laughs> um and uh it's way better than i expected um i was 
interested in playing it just because of the the rewind thing which is great um but it also has like a fully uh proper physics-based grappling hook um it has physics-based like stealth and distraction stuff so it's all about like moving crates by nudging them and stuff to um to create enough noise to distract guards uh, and all of this works with rewind and with um with super hot time and uh yeah it's actually really good it has a load of um interesting things about it one is um so like stealth game with rewind i think that's a good concept for a game and that should be the entire concept for the game <laughs> and the way you know i think this is good is because that's what i wrote in my ideas document what they did is that plus grappling hook plus super hot time plus manage an ai comrade in a stealth game um which is i think way too much and it, it kind of shows but all of those things individually they sort of did a pretty good job of like the grappling hook um uh a, a proper 3d grappling hook a rope that like wraps around things that you can swing in any direction you can attach it to any wooden surface so it's semi-restricted but not very restricted there's a lot of wooden stuff around um and you can attach it anywhere on those wooden surfaces and do whatever you like from there um i think there's a reason that it's not done very often which mm. is uh in very short order you can make it do something weird you can sort of glitch into something or like uh wrap yourself too tightly or there's just really no way to model what happens to a human when you sort of like fall from a great height and then shoot your grappling hook into a floor and then the rope wraps around a balcony but then you're attracting the rope so you you kind of slip over the balcony and suck yourself into the floor <laughs> like and i think this game does the if you're going to do that um shadwen does the uh the best handling of it which is like well fuck looking right we're just going to let that work like if it, if it feels like it should work if you were like a floating sphere then it should work uh and we won't worry about like oh this would mean the character's leg gets caught on this balcony or like this would be an awkward thing physically uh they just make it happen and it looks fucking ridiculous you're just always this like stiff your character has this is one of the ways in which it feels like a game whose whose um ambitions were out of match uh with its budget your character just has this frozen expression at all times they're just staring wide-eyed straight forwards and mm. uh, no matter what you're doing uh which is fair enough it's like a behind uh, third person view so you don't usually see your character's face but if you do enough crazy shit with a grappling hook you end up seeing your character's face and she always just looks like what am i doing <laughs> why have i done this um and uh the only reason you ever see her face really is because while you're in these ridiculous situations you sort of stop and that stops time you're not moving anymore so uh, time doesn't move and you can then spin around the camera and watch yourself like i'm just sort of doing a sort of superhero pose towards uh, a guard with my rope attached to the the ground beneath his feet and he's just looking at me in utter astonishment and i'm just <laughs> staring into space like i don't know why i'm doing this either <laughs> um uh, and then like managing an ai sidekick in a stealth game sounds like a recipe for disaster this sounds mm. like the worst idea in the world um but it actually works um and it's it ends up being the key to a bunch of interesting things that it does for a stealth game for one thing uh, i'll just like going back to the the rewind thing rewind plus stealth is just awesome i'm really glad someone did it and to be honest this hasn't even put me off doing it myself because it's so good that it's just like i don't care if someone's already done this this just works so well um like i dropped down behind a guard and he heard me land i didn't know he would hear me land like whether or not people hear you land is a thing that changes from game to game yeah um and but because it has rewind i just rewound one second and then that mistake was undone and it was no big deal and so i just learned a rule with no consequences mm. and then i saw some straw nearby and i thought i wonder if i land on the straw if that's like a soft landing you won't hear it and then, so i tried it 
and he didn't hear it and it worked perfectly so i learned like two rules and i went from failure like annoying failure to satisfying success in literally like two and a half seconds right. it's just so fast to learn from your mistakes learn how the world works every possible rule even ones that are like a bit bullshit um because you can learn them so easily it's just oh i'm fine with that okay um and then your uh companion so you are shadwen that's your name i think one of the reasons uh, if if i was brought in as like a consultant on promoting this game <laughs> i'd have many many things to say uh one of which would be that's a really awkward name to say uh they are a finnish developer i don't know if that name kind of uh either is a real finnish name i suspect not um or if it like rolls off the tongue better to a Finnish ear, but it sounds really awkward to me. I think the reason it sounds awkward is I can't help thinking that it started as like someone called Gwen decided to become a stealth character. <laughs> like, how can I shadow put a shadow Gwen. in my name? <laughs> well, I can't, but <laughs> here goes. Um, so you are Shadwen, and then you have a uh, a little girl called Lily who's sort of attached herself to you. Like you kind of save her early on, and and she just decides she wants to follow you around. You don't really want her to, but um, she's going to, and. Uh, you don't control her directly. Uh, you just are shadowing for the whole thing. But, uh, you, you have the kind of, um, command of the space that you have in something like Dishonored, where it's basically pretty easy to get anywhere, because you can just grapple up to these wooden beams that go over everything. You can stay high, stay out of sight. Uh, enemy vision cones are pretty small. There's loads of hiding places. Um, and so you can just traverse the space really expertly and, um, have a perfect overview of everything. Um, uh, you can optionally see enemy vision cones. I've turned that on. It's like a difficulty option. Um, and, uh, that's really cool. Um, so you're never like getting through the space is not a challenge for you, but uh, Lily has to get through the space as well. And the way she works is she will just go to like the nearest bush or haystack, uh, which counters like perfect stealth areas that no one can ever see you when you're in there. Um, and she will move to the next haystack, uh, or bush, uh, as soon as she can see there's a clear path, uh, or even if she thinks there kind of might be a clear path. Um, and then the really smart move they made is that you can never fail from her getting detected. If someone mm. sees her, she just runs back to where she was and they don't actually see her in the real sense. They just, she just get like scampers away. Um, whereas if they see you, it's game over and you have to rewind. Um, and so you're never, you never fail because of her. Like she can't really do anything wrong. All she can do is fail to get to the next hay bale and then go back. Um, and the AI for her doing that, I think it's just sort of like looks for a path that doesn't pass through any enemy vision cones. And as soon as that is true, she will start going for it, which sounds like a perfectly logical way to do this. But in a stealth game, the way she behaves, you're watching her as like a, almost like another stealth player, mm. and she is so ballsy. <laughs> She's just like absolutely no fear. Like the second, like a guard's looking right at her, and the second he like turns around to get back to where he was, she just runs out past him, even though there's like three other guards about to turn around, but she just thinks, yeah, I might, might make it, who cares? <laughs> and so it's actually like, it makes you kind of like her a lot. <laughs> just this really gutsy little kid who'll just go for anything, has no fear, um, until she's seen, in which case you scampers back to where she was hiding from. Hmm. Um, what they've done there is they've made a better system than The Last of Us, where <laughs> uh, you <laughs> are starting around a lot with Ellie, and Ellie's approach, you never, you know, she's fully out of your control, is just to just wander around fucking anywhere <laughs> in front of guards and the, the, their program not to see her. Like, it's so strange and it's, it's one of the most 
it's kind of one of the most broken aspects of the game really because it really is a game all about creating an atmosphere and it just shatters it as soon yeah, as she does I remember, that I remember seeing her just grow straight in front of enemies and they just do and they're just like eh. just, <laughs> must be a rat it, it's still a <laughs> it's still a better way of doing it than having you actually fail the game agreed yes anyway. agreed like I think all developers have got together in some kind of secret meeting and decided we just can't do that that's just such yeah, bullshit we yeah. can't ever do it absolutely um, and so Lily uh, the, the Shadowrun system only really works because the levels have a concept of progress like they are they don't feel linear but they are linear they are they're like this bush is further forward than that bush and so Lily knows she should go to that bush if she can if you had a non-linear level she would have to have some kind of decision making process for which bush is, is it preferable to, for her to get to right. um, is this one further forward than the other one and that would depend on like what route the player was planning to take her through or whatever this it pretty much has to be there is a route through this level and she will always go to the the, the hiding spot mm. that's further forwards um and like i say she's really good at it like you kind of i end up like sometimes i'll i'll spend some time so the way you uh kind of get past guards is mostly by distraction you can kill them if you get uh the jump on them but i'll come back to that i've tended not to because you can fire a grappling hook into like some crates and then just pull them down and that will make the guards all run over to where those crates were and say oh what is this dark forces why did that move um ropes <laughs> yeah they can't see the rope ever even if they're looking right at the crate and you fire a rope into it and then pull it and it's like why is it moving <laughs> um and that works really well just as like a sort of a, a, a neat distraction tool that you can just use as much as you like. Um, and so it's all about like, oh, this guard's covering this exit. So uh, he's covering the, the path from this uh, hay bale to this bush. Uh, I will pull this crate behind him. And then when it lands, he'll hear that. He'll turn around. Then Lily runs from one bush to the next. And uh, often I will like jump down to that bush as well uh, to hide. And sometimes when i do that like she has already gone to the next one like she's found a way to get to the next one i haven't even figured that out i'm like oh shit okay if we can go i'll go and then i'll like run after her um and so that works really well a thing that didn't become clear to me for ages um not for ages for, for like um until level two <laughs> um was so you can uh, the first time you even meet lily that she's being crowded by guard and the obvious way to deal with him is to kill him and i did that and um then it popped on the message saying oh lily's seen you brutally murder someone this will affect the story if you want to undo this you can rewind and so i rewound um because it seemed to be implying i shouldn't have done that and then i just found some kind of really cheesy way to get him to look the other way for a second <laughs> that completed the scene and then we moved on um and because of that i have always been trying to avoid uh killing because it, it seemed to be like oh if you kill lily thinks you're a bad person and uh uh I know from Dishonored, I'll just be outright punished for this. It'll just tell me at the end of the game, you did the wrong thing, you're bad. This is a bad choice. Um, Lily thinks you're radical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little credit. I, that was a cool kill. <laughs> anyway, I, it, surprisingly, it's one of the, the few stealth games I've ever played where I'm actually happy to do the, the uh, not just non-lethal, but don't even take out the guards. You know, usually I'm all about at least make the space safe, take out everybody so that I don't have to worry mm. about the patrols anymore. Um like Tom Francis, safe spaces is a <laughs> different interpretation. Everyone here is unconscious. That's a safe space. <laughs> um, uh, in this one, uh, I don't feel that need because it's so easy to get across the space. Like, you can just go up in the rafters. It's kind of like um, the Arkham games. You know, there's so <clears> many gargoyles up high. Yeah, yeah. You can just uh, uh, trivially evade everybody forever. Um, and you can do that here. Um, and then getting Lily through, once she's get once she gets past a section, she will never have to go through it again. Um and uh and that's cool and then i got to um uh i actually ended up i was pulling a crate down to distract someone and landed on them and killed them <laughs> 
And, uh, I kind of laughed at that and I thought, well, you know, I'm not like going for a strict non-lethal run. I only rewound because it told me Lily's heart was broken. Basically, there's like a little heart icon that breaks when she sees, she sees <laughs> to kill someone. Wow. Um, and, uh, that didn't happen this time. So I just kind of carried on and thought oh, that was kind of funny happenstance. My she loved that one. <laughs> well, uh, she, I didn't think about this afterwards, but in retrospect, thinking back on it, she didn't see that. Mm. And, uh, when I realized that, I suddenly thought, shit, this is like, I was in another situation where it was really hard to get past these two particular guards. And it was in a section where I was only going to the section to open a door for Lily. So she couldn't get into the section yet. I had to unlock the door from the other side. And there's two guards in here. And, uh, it's very hard to get, uh, to get them out of the way, uh, properly. And so I thought, well, she can't see this. I can just kill him. <laughs> and so I killed them. And then, uh, I actually did it as a test because, you know, the fact that I can rewind at any time means I can experiment infinitely and just try every possible uh, thing with no consequence. And so I just thought, well, I'll try killing him and see if there is a body dragging system. Because if I can drag these bodies out of the way, then when Lily comes through, she never needs to know there are ever any guards here. <laughs> it was just a very safe, easy room. Safe, safe space. <laughs> safe. <laughs> um, no one could be offended if everyone's dead. <laughs> so I tried it. And sure enough, you can drag bodies. Mm. And... um so I killed them both and I just dragged them up to some little corner that I could see from the, the route that you'd have to take through a space that she would never see and then let her through. And uh, this is like the coolest body hiding stealth detection <laughs> system I've ever used because, uh, you know, in most stealth games, it's just kind of become like body getting detected is not that big a deal. Usually it is in this. They set off an alarm and that eventually ends the game. Um, but usually it's just like games have a real hard time getting away from like the mechanics reward or punish this therefore you just do or don't do right. that yeah and mm-hmm. so you just end up with a play style and you just do that forever and you never vary from it yeah and this is the first time where i'm like i was doing a non-lethal playthrough and then i realized the my logic for doing that was actually based on what lily thinks and if i can get away with it from lily's perspective <laughs> it, it, i kind of have a clean slate i don't think the game is going to ever judge that's me for amazing this. yeah that's really really cool <laughs> and I'm, that's way more interesting like hiding a body from a friend is way more interesting than hiding bodies from enemies yeah um, it, that, it's kind of like you should be able to a bit like uh trying to get a childhood pet's death past a child yeah like replace the guard <laughs> with like you or your mate like pretending to be In the guard week. like oh i'm fine but i'm just going to look over here <laughs> that's that's one of the reasons i like it so much is it feels like a kind of parental thing to do it actually makes me think that i would love to see something like this with um Emily, Emily and Corvo because Corvo's right. your dad and he's kind of he would be trying to protect you from the the evils of this world mm. and he also feels like the kind of guy who would maybe do this maybe sometimes see the necessity of just this person has to die i don't want you to know that to die i'm just going to tell you there was no one in this room <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so it feels parental like what you're doing is, is in a weird way as a very dark and, and strange parent the rest of the game i've been showing her that like oh, we can just get through this we'll just distract the guards we won't hurt anybody um and then when she can't see i'm just like fucking stab this fucking, <laughs> fucking hay bale like, oh, yeah, this area like, is clearly come with you corvo like sneak into a room someone rats to eat everybody and then open the door and be like emily look another room full of lovely rats <laughs> <laughs> now we can't keep them so make sure you say goodbye <laughs> i like that's a extra layer of challenge as well that it's like a secret stealth mission within the stealth missions that you're yeah. already doing as well it's, it's like there are shmups that do that where there are hidden objectives that actually yeah, yeah. give you that extra difficulty level yeah there's also there's like chests lying around that uh i wouldn't call them loot chests but they do have <laughs> uh uh ingredients in them that you can use to craft gadgets and stuff that system doesn't really work that well because most of the gadgets are lethal and yeah you're just strongly encouraged not to kill except in those particular circumstances um 
but what if Emily learns to kill? <laughs> if you do it often enough, those little scoots forward to cover become like murderous. <laughs> she just roots through the level, the sword, sword, scoots, create nuts. a monster, <laughs> power sliding through the guards. Um, yeah, the, the, the problem it has is that it doesn't. I like that was uh, that thing of distracting with the ropes and stuff. That was like level one, and level two was that again. But then I discovered this cool corpse thing, <laughs> um, and then. Uh, it, I've played like four or five levels on from that. The levels are quite long, um, so like 20 minutes or something. Um, and it hasn't come up with anything new since then. It's just been that again mm. and again and again. And the environments also look exactly the same. The guards are, are all the same. Mm. It's just recently introduced a guard that has like a shield in his back, which means you can't backstab him. But then I was almost never backstabbing anyone anyway. So that just made zero difference to my, uh, my play. The killing people thing, I haven't actually done it again because it just hasn't been necessary. There hasn't been a situation where I'm like, oh, I don't know how to get past so this So you're always just trying to get through the level. Yeah. And get her through as well. Um, which is a, trickier than you getting through, but, but, uh, thus far, it hasn't actually been that necessary to, to take people out. I might have done it like one more time actually. Um, but I kind of wish it was hard enough that I needed to do that because that was such an interesting choice to make. Um, and, uh, was such a cool new kind of narrative theme for stealth. Um, and yeah, so far it just feels like it doesn't have any other tricks up its sleeve. And I mm. think that's, that's probably why it's not mm. uh, better known than it is. Yeah. Is that it just kind of, um, tries a lot of mechanics all at once and then only a few of them end up being really relevant and um uh those ones just get basically repeated and it is satisfying I, i'm having a good time and i will finish it i think um because i will happily just do this this kind of pull on that crate to distract that guard thing uh, you know on a loop forever um but yeah it kind of it needed they should have cut like three of these mechanics and just stuck mm. with like two or three of mm. them um and then focused on what's an interesting twist for that how do we make this harder like they've made attacking the guards harder but they haven't made avoiding the guards harder in any way at all it's just literally the same um so i think that that would have been an interesting road to go down but still really recommend it it's um even just like swinging around with with super hot time like there's so many things going on in this game it's completely nuts but like you swing from one thing and while you're sort of pushing i'm playing with the controller and while i'm pushing forward on the thumbstick time is moving and i'm swinging and then the second i think oh i want to swing to the next vantage point now i just let go of the thumbstick and time is frozen so i have as long as i like to like shoot my rope exactly where i want it to mm. be and then do a perfect tarzan thing um and then like launch myself into the air and like land perfectly on this uh on this other beam and if i don't land perfectly on the beam i just rewind a little bit and then slightly adjust it and get it right, right. i want this in a spider-man game yeah um and then stuff like lily running from cover to cover the only way that can really go wrong is if she does get spotted she runs back and she runs all the way back so even if there is a clear path after that she won't check and again until she's back in safety and so that's uh, a little bit of a consequence for her getting detected and if that happens uh what i'll usually do is i'll instead of letting her run all the way back i'll actually rewind time to before she got spotted and then see okay it's that guy who spots her is there something i could have done like three seconds ago that would mean by this time that guard is looking this way and often there is and uh, that's really satisfying too hmm. wow sounds great hmm. how old is it now um i feel like two or three years maybe oh wow frozen bite uh you know everyone knows them for trying i, I think mm. and then there was a little bit of a controversy about trying three years seem to remember like they apologized for it at some point like it they th it was kind of unfinished um they had to scrap some big chunk of it is it trying three or trying two <laughs> they got three but yeah. yeah i don't know mm. um and i hadn't really heard of 
uh, what they've been up to since then, except vaguely having uh, heard of Shadwen. Um, but they've done two games since that. They've um, they have one called Nine Parchments that's out now already on Switch and I think PC. Um, and they had another one in between whose name I forget. Wow. Huh. Huh. Should we do some questions? Sure. Yes. So our first question this month, this month, this week, <laughs> comes from a a little uh, a voice from our past. Ooh. Comes from Marsh. Oh. But I thought I thought he died. So <laughs> did I, but apparently not. Well, he's he's, he's alive enough to send us this email, <clears throat> and he writes, "Hello." Oh, sorry. I'll do the I'll do the voice properly. Hang on. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> An early assassination mission <laughs> in ass oranges concluded with my blade sinking cleanly into the neck of my foe, <laughs> only to have a cutscene immediately interject, <laughs> asserting that I in fact flubbed the attack and somehow cut off my own finger in the process. Obviously, this is obscenely dumb, but has there ever been a cutscene-induced forced fail or similar that wasn't obscenely dumb? Yours, Orangesly, Mash! <laughs> God, it's like he's in the room. That's incredible. It's so good to Remarkable. hear from him after all this time. I think time. that guy called me when I was a PC gamer. <laughs> uh, well, it's great to hear from Marsh. And um, um, he's obviously... So I suppose his, uh, I forgot what his actual question is. Um, has there ever been a forced fail cutscene that wasn't mm, done? Uh, not as far as, I absolutely hate this. It's one of my pet peeves with well, games. It's interesting because I, I remember that assassination in, in Assassin's Creed Origins and it didn't bother me. I'm usually very bothered by these kinds of things. I don't totally know why it didn't. It was, I think because it's not really a fail. You lose your finger, but you kill the guy. So you did kill the guy. <laughs> Uh, and the fact you lost your finger has no gameplay relevance. That's just so, like, a like, win. story detail. Um, uh, but you know, see again, you know, whereas like, eye for an eye, that's a bad murder deal. Finger, finger for, for a guy. <laughs> finger for a guy. There you go. Sounds good to me. Uh, he even says that, like, not quite in those words, but by accident. That's the first version of the Assassin's Creed. It's like, eye for an eye, finger for a guy. <laughs> that's a very different game. <laughs> yeah. He mutters something yeah. afterwards, like, I think it's even just as you're wandering around the world, it's just something like, it was worth the cost to, to end the, the, the hyena. You shook your fist then, but that wouldn't really work as well. <laughs> you can shake most of your fist. Yeah. <laughs> um, prototype 2 uh, had the worst uh, of these, where I've been chasing a boss throughout a level, and... Every time he gets too far from you, it insta-fails the mission. You have to restart it, which already is ultra, ultra bullshit. Hmm. And then if you chase him for long enough, it triggers the cutscene. Like if he's going to a certain location and obviously the cutscene takes place at this location. So you have to reach there for the cutscene to play. And the cutscene is him getting away from you. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, that just <laughs> right. happened like seven different times. <laughs> mm. And you told me that was unacceptable and I had to restart. And oh, now you're yeah. me that's what happens anyway. The rifle butt to the face is, is the laziest kind mm. of cutscene interrupt. <laughs> I've seen it. God, so many times in so many games where you're first person and then you go through a doorway and then the rifle butt comes in and then it's fucking oh, terrible. <laughs> I don't know if it counts, but um in terms of like getting to your objective, then a cutscene happens and it your character does something that is totally not what you intended. Mm. I would say the Andrew Ryan moment in Bioshock fits that. Okay. It's mm. not a forced fail. Mm. It depends what your goal was. 
Um, but your character just goes totally off feast and does something that you did not tell him to do in a really dramatic way. And it's obviously very intentional. And there's a, a narrative reason why he uh, is not obeying you at that point. Um, mm, that's a that's success, cool. That is a successful force film yeah. because it's, it's set up by the entire game. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> it only took the entire game to set up yeah. that one moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then it works. Mm. Any other context, maybe not. I think there are, uh, yeah, I mean, games can put you in interesting negative circumstances mm. where you don't succeed as much as you thought you would. Yeah, but it's, it, to me, like a cutscene is not meaningful friction. It's just mm. uh, a waste of time. And especially when, you know, it just undermines, if you, the game gives you an objective and then it undermines it with a cutscene. Mm. Uh, over which you have no control and it takes all your powers away and in fact the most infuriating ones uh show people doing stuff to your character that your character would just shrug off in the, the ordinary game environment <laughs> yeah. they've got powers and stuff that would just yeah. let them escape from i have this issue i do have this issue with the mass effect series actually because there's a bunch but i think mass effect 3 has a couple where like shepherd just needs to fall down a bunch for mm. the for the drama to proceed for the bad guy to get away with the thing or to you know whatever right yeah and you spend so much time like doing like combat roly polies away from explosions in that game that it doesn't it literally doesn't land when it wants you to believe that like i've been momentarily inconvenienced by a shove right. <laughs> um and you know that's that's an, i mean I pick on mass effect but that's an endemic problem also, um mass effects uh as soon as you're in a cutscene, you're always holding this pistol that's like sometimes, I think in the first game, it could even be just a weapon you don't even have. Um, and if someone gets shot by like a pistol in a cutscene, that's them dead. <laughs> Whereas in actual combat, it's like 90 assault rifle rounds. Do not take it down to half health. Hmm. I think yeah. uh, Spec Ops the line disadvantages you in interesting ways. Mm. But what it does is it gives you the cutscene that kind of takes your power away, but then it follows up with an interesting decision. So when you actually come back into the game, you actually often have a choice about how, who to shoot after mm. what, what's mm. just happened. Or if you're, you know, this is, you're surrounded by a bunch of people on the bridge and you're told to walk slowly forwards and not pull your gun, you can actually pull your gun. Like it actually gives you, it follows up the interactivity afterwards. Yeah. The, um, actually, so one I really do like is the end of Halo Reach. Mm. I don't know if you've played Reach. No, the not reached um, so I'm going to spoil the end of Halo Reach. But um, it's been a long time, and this is a PC podcast. It's a content podcast, so skip ahead a minute if you don't want to have the end of Halo Reach. Spoiled. But Reach is a really interesting game because it's it's the Halo prequel. It's like the prequel to the original Halo trilogy, mm. and it, it's set uh, during like, the fall of Reach, which is this. It was the first planet to be consumed by the war that the rest of the Halo games are about. And the idea is that it was Reach where all of the Spartans, which are the super soldiers that Master Chief is, die. So you go into that game with the knowledge that like, something has to happen. And a lot of games have sort of, you know, I, I always thought that like things like the Star Wars prequels had the same problem of like, we know you have to be rid of these characters by the end of this. Yeah. And it ends, the last thing you do in the game is is hold off waves and waves of enemies so that the ship carrying Frozen Master Chief can escape the planet and go on to begin the Halo trilogy, which is a, a nice kind of handover between the two. You never see him but you get mm. that kind of thing. And you've made your own character at the start because you can make your own because it's not a preset character. And then huge bomb goes off or something and you think you've died like, as you need to at the end of the game, which would be your forced fail ending because you go into the game knowing that you are dead, right? You have to die for the rest of the story to happen. Mm. But what's really cool is that right before, I think it's it's not even, I, I remember it as feeling like a post-credit sequence, but I don't think it is. I think it's just like the epilogue of the game is you actually wake up in the aftermath of the explosion and you're in the same level that you were, but it's kind of like blasted to pieces and there's really heavy sand clouds all around you and you can barely see. And 
you are down to just your pistol, basically, and like one clip of ammo, and there's nothing else in the gun, and you have nothing else left, and there's no other ammo to find, and there are uh, alien enemies wandering the environment, similarly shell shocked, basically like you know everyone's sort of dead, and and then and you can basically just play that level for as long as you can survive. Right. And that's it. That's the end of the game. Yeah, you just yeah. play that level for as, as long as you can. Hmm. Um, and the, um, and you, cause you have really limited ammo, but you still have your melee attack and stuff. So you can keep going for a while if you hide a lot and stuff, but you will eventually die because eventually more enemies will come and, you know, kill you. And when, whenever you finally die is when the game ends. Hmm. And it doesn't give you the regular death screen. It just zooms out from your helmet with a bullet hole in it in the, in the sand mm. and it kind of closes out and that's the credits. And I really like that as a, because yeah, yeah. it's a forced fail in that like this is going to end with your death, but you kind of choose whether that's like a heroic last stand or, you know, or what, right? Mm. Like you get to kind of play out your final moments. I really, really like that. Yeah. I really like that concept as an ending. Um, there's uh, Deus Ex or something similar. The first one where it's not the end, but, um, there's a section of the game where, like, at any time after this point, the next time you die, uh, you'll wake up in prison, basically, and the, the story will actually progress. Mm. And it's, uh, Deus Ex has a degree of choice, but ultimately it's going to push you down one particular path right to the end of the game. And then the, the, at the end, you get the sort of the decisive choice. But, um, along the way, you can sort of resist the course of the plot for a long time. And so this is one of the things you can resist. If you survive this, this fight, you can get through it and then you can go to a whole different area and then um eventually you hit basically a brick wall which is like um uh, a boss surrounded by a whole load of other bosses and uh, no actual way out of that situation and at some point you're going to die and when you do die then you wake up in prison and that's where the game carries mm. on from mm. yeah i think the key is it's not really a forced fail. It's sort of something that you have some degree of freedom over. Even yeah. If the consequences. It almost feels like it, it kind of mollified me because like I was able to evade it a couple of times so that by the time it finally happened, it was like, all right, I understand. You've given me a lot of leeway here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I screwed you You've allowed me enough. to settle my affairs. <laughs> <laughs> I realize the game just has to wait, have me wake up in prison. So mm. I love unusual fail states. Uh, that reminds me of, um, I think there's like, Maybe in Dark Souls 2 and definitely Bloodborne, there are enemies that can kill you and you think you're just dead. And then things take like a massive right turn. Suddenly you wake up in, in prison or somewhere we else. We haven't, we haven't got there in Bloodborne yet in our playthrough, which no. will return when we manage Such to not. find time for it. Um, but there, there a big man put you in a bag. Yeah, yeah. Big man put you in a bag. And you don't know, we don't want that to have happened, but it has. <laughs> And that, now you're in his house. Just surprising fa- failure states. That's, that's a massive untapped thing for me. I like the idea that you can, uh, you just think you're going to die as normal and then respawn, but actually suddenly it takes you away somewhere or does something I different. think a lot of those really surprising. like rifle butt to the face cutscenes could have been replaced with that. Like just mm. enemies flooding in and they just keep flooding in until you die. And then when you die, that's when it happens. Cause then at least you feel you have some control. Yeah. Like, even if, yeah, I think it, games teach you that you can overcome any situation yeah. too much though. Like that's, you know, the end of Halo Reach, like, you know, also the opening shot of Halo Reach is your helmet in the sand with a bullet hole in it. Mm. And the game ends on that shot as well. And it bookends the entire thing. And so you kind of know it has to end there. Mm. So you're kind of ready for it. You're like, I understand this is the end of the game. Whereas most of the time, you know, there's an interesting, on a different tack, there's an interesting, um, watch a lot of, YouTube's about DMing and GMing and pen and paper RPG generally. And there's an interesting, uh, I can't remember the video, but it's, it's talking about how like trying to push players into a situation where they give up 
is a really dangerous trap to fall into mm. as someone planning a pen and paper campaign <laughs> because players will just fight and they'll fight to yeah. the death yeah, yeah. because they, they're not used to being confronted with things where the, cause even though in a pen and paper game, particularly fleeing is always an option, you know, you have all this lateral freedom that you don't have in a game, a video game necessarily. Mm. Even, even in those circumstances where people could say, I'd like to try and parlay or I'd like to run away or I'd like to hide. Most people will always lean into like, fuck it. I've won every other fight I've been in. I want to fight this one as well. Yeah. yeah. I think you'll never persuade the player to not take on the fight. But yeah. you can make it so that it literally is unwinnable and they will die. And then when they do die, that's when you progress them. Mm. There's a Dawn of War 2 campaign, one of the expansions, I think, where I wish it had been that head of pretending. <laughs> we are, it's the last stand of like the Blood Ravens and you're totally surrounded. Oh, yeah. That's the most space marine death ever. It yeah. would have been amazing just to let you kind of fend off as many things as yeah. you could and then die gloriously. I think that should have been, that should be one of the standard endings for games. <laughs> like one where you die, but you sort of hold out for but as long as you can. Right? And, yeah. yeah. Only force failed as duty end. Because there's like, <laughs> if you don't do that, then you, um, uh basically you run the risk of a huge chunk of players will find it too easy and it's not climactic mm. and the other bunch of players will not be able to complete it and they will never get to the end and then they'll give up on the game unhappy like both of those things are incredibly bad and incredibly likely mm. with any given end game challenge whereas if you have it take them to the point of failure and the failure is where the game ends then everyone has that experience everyone is pushed to the brink of their skill the brink of their uh, talents they will have if they've never had it in the whole game until that point, they will have the moment where they're using all of their skills and all of their resources and it's still, um, you know, uh, for a while, only just enough and then eventually not enough. Hmm. Um, and that seems like a great place to end, except that the main character's dead. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like as if the game needs to sort of recognise your sacrifice in some way, though. Like, if you yeah. do really well, I think people want to be rewarded. Yeah, for exactly. Lasting. But if you do that, do that, then people do who that. aren't good at it will feel like... They were sort of denied the narrative payoff at the end of the yeah, story. It can't be too much of a fuck you if you don't do well, but right, um, right. But you can have some kind of like uh, it can just be reflected in some way, just mm. which is an interesting thing, right? It's an interesting narrative double binder distance, you might say, in games is that you kind of want to tell the whole story, the whole heroic movie style story, beginning to end, regardless of how good the player is at the game. When games are inevitably a challenge medium, well, you know, right. so the kinds of games we're talking about are inevitably about challenge to some degree where people can express skill greater or lesser as they play through, yeah, yeah. but they have to be protected from the real consequences of that in the narrative. So you can, which is that every game is like this, right? Where you're a, a boinging chump that can't really do anything properly the first time and every, and requires three goes to complete them the most basic interaction with the door, but you will finish this as the savior of the universe mm. rather than being ignored <laughs> and passed over <laughs> in favor of someone competent. Um, and so, you know what I mean? That kind of, you kind of want someone to commit to making the action game mm. where it actually really matters how good you are at it. Like they're not going to put you on the yeah. spec op squad if you are <laughs> crap, especially in a game like Dawn of War, where mm. there are literally leveling systems and you kill things to level. And then suddenly you're in a position, like the game has taught you and trained you for the entire time to just kill things and be good at it. And then being not good at it in the end and being forced to fail is never going to feel good. I don't think in that context, as much as I'd have loved it from a fiction perspective. Well, thanks to Marsh for getting in touch. Yeah. yeah. Hello, Marsh. Letting us know he's all right. Woo, Marsh. Woo, Marsh. Next is Neil. I'm not going to do the voice for Neil because I don't know what Neil sounds like. <laughs> <clears throat> Neil writes, Reskin an entire game with Star Wars to make your ideal Star Wars game. This comes from watching Rebels and imagining Far Cry Lafal. Neil, 
which is a real cool idea and to explain for people who don't watch like i do children's cartoons um that's basically a sort of star wars fuck well I mean, it would be a game about unseating the empire from a planet mm. through a mixture of far cry style open world oh, yeah, kind cool. of drivey kind of activities that'd be pretty good yeah um in fact the you know i'd go with i'd go with xcom or as they should call it x-wing com yeah <laughs> But like, it wouldn't be about X-Wings, right? Or would it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would just be about... Well, I thought you were talking about, like, on the ground. Well, it could, you could do both. Why not do both? Yeah. I, I mean, it's my magic game, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not a sort of Rebel Alliance simulator where you recruit people to the Rebel Alliance and send them out on missions, and maybe that's some space-based strategy. Maybe that's some ground-based strategy. That sounds pretty rad to me, that's, Chris. Sounds yeah. super rad. I've already been satisfied by KOTOR in this regard. <laughs> I, I absolutely love the idea of a Star Wars RPG. That's exactly what I want. I want to be in that world. I want to be in those cantinas as someone just talking to people and bartering and getting cool weapons. And mm. maybe there's a Jedi there too. You know, that that is what I want from a Star Wars game. Really. I um, on, I actually found on an old USB stick only a couple of days ago um, loads of my... Star Wars Galaxy screenshots from 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. And it was actually like finding a lost family photo album. <laughs> Genuinely, that's not a joke. That's a proper, like, um, I had, there's, there's feelings bound up in that, mm. that game and, and that place. And, oh it, man. You should, uh, load them into Facebook because, um, I don't really use Facebook, but my girlfriend does. And occasionally it serves up, like, just a Your memories, yeah. Algorithmically generated. Yeah. God knows I'm sick best. of being shown pictures of university. So, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the way that Facebook does it is that it kind of like picks some music and like does some fading photos from one to another. <laughs> and it genuinely looks like everyone involved is dead. And <laughs> some sort of memorial. I love that because I've never really been like, I never really used Facebook properly. Like, I've had it for, I've never used it properly. More than no. a decade, but just, I've only, I only have an account for work. Yeah. I have an account for, miniatures events mm. basically um but like i've got but also like you know the were years where it was used a lot like university and immediately afterwards and uh improv years and stuff like that and so there's loads of pictures of me and but it doesn't really have any value waiting on it and particularly i've never like um like really like interacted much with other people on it mm. and so it's constantly doing like this thing where it'll pop up like you and your friend ed have been friends on facebook for nine years in that time you've liked each other a lot 12 times. <laughs> You've had some great times together. And it's a picture of like Ed at a party in like 2008. And then in the background, <laughs> look, talking to somebody else, <laughs> you can see my ear. <laughs> it's great. Times. I love watching the algorithm. Mm. Like, just, just fuck it up. It. Just <laughs> fuck it up. I can't great. make your life meaningful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, it's really, it's really, and like, um, the fact that you have to like you click the little thing like I don't want to see this and it's like oh why and you're like <laughs> oh. well you've just done a like do you remember this person about like an ex or something and you sort of you know you're like and it's got like oh sorry I'm not going to do that one again um, do you want to see this person do you want to see would you click on this it's like a Rick and Morty episode <laughs> but you know actually real it's just going to throw like random memories and hope that you like them or yeah, have an exactly. emotional reaction randomly yeah I genuinely think as a species we've underestimated how much damage we've done to our own concept of time because <laughs> <laughs> nothing can ever die now mm. nothing can ever end it's true no people can ever truly go away mm. anyway Star Wars Alice, yeah. um, so- <laughs> I would apply the Star Wars paint to Papers Please <laughs> 
and he's stamping <laughs> like, like rebel uh, or civilian papers and trying to detect rebels amongst them as a imperial okay, um, every now guy. and then every now and then you'd get obi-wan kenobi you just <laughs> oh, yeah, inexplicably yeah. Yeah. just do whatever <laughs> the fuck amazing. he said <laughs> that would be like how you become undone is that you just it seems like a perfectly normal person and you just uh, god that would be boxes. so grim if it was like like people's please in the you get like the end of that day and you get in real trouble because yeah. you let him through and therefore your family doesn't eat yeah. and you can't buy medicine. And you're like, oh, fucking hell. Yeah. Like, I got money. Fucking Jedi. Yeah. Obi-Wan got his burger, so everything's fine. <laughs> his burger. I don't know why I said that. It's, That's what people I, I think he uses, uses it like in fast food restaurants in any way, which so he can get away with it. Uh, uh, good. Next. Uh, Donald writes, at the risk of saying the C word too early in the year, Christmas! Have any of you decided what games you will try to catch up on over the Christmas break yet? Question mark, Donald. I always feel like I try and save the super long form games, so like, I want to do like a mega Total War, uh, Warhammer 2 merged map campaign. You know, they've, uh, released the patch mm. that kind of glues all the first and second yeah, games yeah. together into one huge campaign map. That's a, a great Christmas fodder. So you can just sink loads of hours. Yeah, into. I'm waiting for like, apparently it's got some rough edges and I'm waiting for them to iron right. it out, which yeah. might have happened by Christmas. Mm. That game's fucking great. Yeah, I didn't say this on the yeah. pod because it kind of like fell during a weird time, but I, my, I've, I've played a full like 40 hour Skaven campaign mm. in Total Warhammer 2 and it's genuinely one of my highlights of the year. Mm. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. It's a great game. I um, have been saving Horizon Zero Dawn expansion pack for that because mm, yeah. um, I've, I, to be honest, I've done a pretty good job of keeping up with a massive onslaught of mega games in the last uh, month because uh, they all came about a month after my game came out, which made me super glad I released my game. A, because I'm not competing with them and B, because I have time to play them now. Um, and so I played all of Wolfenstein, played um, level like 32 in Assassin's Oranges um and i feel like there's one other big one i played recently um i played played like mario odyssey a bit um Mm. and so yeah horizon's the only one that i haven't got to and not because i'm not excited about it but just because i'm right in the middle of assassin's creed origins and um i I think it's the one where like i know exactly what i'm gonna get i love that game and i know what the expansion is gonna be um the other one i was thinking about actually kind of out of left field um is soma because i played that and i liked it but i found it a bit of a slog uh with the horror sections like when you're hiding from monsters it just took a very long time to get through those and it wasn't that much fun hiding from them it was a little bit scary but it wasn't like the the scare factor wears off when it takes like 20 minutes to get past this one (laughs) section um and there is a mod now that just takes the monsters makes the monsters non-hostile and I really like the story of that game. And it was one of the few games that raises like philosophical issues and deals with them intelligently. And I recently saw a video that compared it to Tacoma and was in, talking about how they're both dealt with AI. And I thought, oh yeah, I don't care about spoilers because I'm never going to play that game again. And then I got like 15 minutes into it. I'm like, I'm going to play that game again. <laughs> that goes to some really interesting places. Hmm. Hmm. Right. Divinity Original Sin 2. Yeah, I think one. it's really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, although it has given me... The big town heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's a good Christmas game, though, because you've got the time, perhaps, yeah. to sink into it. <laughs> Theoretically. Um, I'd like to play XCOM War of the Chosen. Oh, yeah, that's good. Because I, I did miss it just because it was such a busy time. I'd mm. like to finish Horizon because I'm still playing that. I've got um the thing I do where I just don't finish a game because I'm enjoying it too much. 
that's the thing <laughs> I've got with Horizon and Zelda at the moment. Like, I've got a paralysis. Like, I don't want it to end because it'll make me sad. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I feel that way with both of those games, actually. Yeah. I feel like there's no danger of that with me and Zelda. <laughs> like, <laughs> I could sink many more hours into it without any risk of that. Hmm. Hmm. Next, Paul writes, <clears throat> Hello, Crate and Crowbar people, he says. Uh, bravely abdicating yeah. the pun, which I respect. That's totally it's fine. not necessary. Yeah. It's been four years. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We have run out. I've been anticipating the release of the new Battletech game and looking over the spread of games over the last decade. The genre never really disappeared, but became quite niche and has been enjoying a bit of a comeback lately. It's got me wondering if there are any game genres that truly do die and do not get cut up with our endless remake pendulum cycle. Can you think of any particular examples? If not, do you think that games as a medium is insulated from this kind of genre loss? Keep making these beautiful pods. <laughs> All the best, Paul. Incidentally, I could say, uh, Tom, are you playing The Sims 4? Uh, no. Cause, uh, I've got Origin open and it just popped up saying, you are playing The Sims 4. <laughs> My girlfriend is playing The Sims 4. <laughs> is what is happening there. <laughs> so that's it. Sims 4 is brilliant, by the way. Yeah, it's good. Um, I can say, so I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know how embargoed I am on Battletech. Cause mm. I played it last week. Probably quite embargoed. Probably quite embargoed, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. I trust that I can get away with saying, I think it's pretty good. Mm. I've heard impressed. that on the great point. I'm quite looking forward to it. Um, I won't say anything else. Um, and because I assume they won't be offended by me having said that, <laughs> but maybe in the future where you're listening to this, I've been very sued. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't think this can happen. I don't think genre can die. Well, once upon a time, I played a game called Space Ace. And uh, Space Ace was on the Amiga, and it was basically an animated cartoon with quick time button presses. And that technically was a genre for a, a period where that was oh, shit. technically yeah. spectacular. And the animation was like, you know, oh, I was blown away by it as a kid. It was amazing. It was like well, there was one for the Sega CD mm. that was very similar. Um, mm. And occasionally, like, there, there there are games that have been like that. There's Ninja, there's a Ninja something game that was like this, like... I guarantee you, if you go dead not searching in the right places, or even the wrong places, you will find a Flash game that does that. I mean, maybe, it depends what the parameters of the question are. Like, this is, is the mean, genre dead? I feel like it is. That, my, that type of game is dead. My view would be, games are so big now, mm. that nothing can truly die. Mm. Like... I wonder, maybe, like, one way of defining dead would be, like... If a developer says, oh yeah, I'm making a game of this genre, do you tell them, no, for fuck's sake, don't. <laughs> <laughs> mm. What in God's name would you make it? <laughs> okay, so it's not that, I think you're right, Chris, that there's probably no, there's no old game that any of us would remember that there isn't somebody somewhere remaking it or making something in that vein because mm. they love it so much. Um, and so like, no one ever making a game of that genre ever again, uh, that criteria is never met, but, Maybe there's a, a sort of softer criteria of like, oh, no one really makes games like these anymore because there's just no kind of market for them. Uh, the one that sprung to mind for me was um, Crusader No Remorse, which is not a genre in itself, but isometric action would be a genre. Um, I can't hmm. really think of one of those. There's loads of isometric strategy games, but this is a real-time... I think of it as like a, almost a proto-Deus Ex because it was... You're kind of breaking into offices it was more actiony than deus ex you weren't mowing people down but you also had these kind of like remote control spider mines that you could steer around to like strategically blow up the right bits of the environment and uh shoot pipes to make jets of flame come out and set people alight and turn valves to 
blow things up and stuff like that. Like really complex um, destructibility, security systems and all that stuff. But yeah, from an isometric point of view, which uh, to be honest, no great tragedy that that's gone <laughs> because I love that game to bits, but I think all the good bits were taken by Deus Ex and the isometric thing was a fucking nightmare. The controls are so fiddly and awkward. Then you, you still got like, you know, stuff like Commandos, remember that, um, obviously they weren't like action games, but they were kind yeah. of like semi emergent, you know, stealth action scenarios. And that was, um, you know, Tom, I think you were enjoying like a, a version of commandos that came out like a, in japan shadow tactics yeah shadow tactics so yeah that, that is that lives. um what is that <laughs> that is real time um i honestly can't remember you can't no you can't pause and issue orders in that game at least i think maybe you can pause but you can't issue orders in it um and yeah that's like very stealth though it's like it's like the whole thing is about stealth mm. whereas crusader was, <clears throat> was basically an action game it had in, emergent elements um but it was primarily action something like um brigador might be the closest modern oh yeah brigador. It, which is a, a isometric uh mech uh action game that mm. is um uh that's very much about blowing everything up <laughs> as far as i understand it man i want to talk about Battletech, but can't. Um, yeah, I, I still stand by the notion that I don't think, like, the 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 thing we talked about last week about indie studios and, and indie sequels suffering is it feels like one of the keys to success at the moment is showing up with something that people don't realize they wanted, whether that's something genuinely new or it's a revival of something that people have kind of been waiting to come back for a, a while. And the positive thing about indie development at the moment is, is, or at least, is that it does seem like lots of different ideas can succeed right. as long as they're sufficiently novel. And in that context, I think it's really difficult to say that any genre is completely dead. Yeah. I think there are some things like flight simulators that have retreated into their niche, but I would, I would be surprised if the number of people playing them had gone down. Yeah. Yeah. It's just mm. the games are so much bigger. Right. Yeah. I think it's an interesting thing. Like, um, in the heyday of, of, flight simulators really like when i got into pc gaming flight simulators were um certainly one of perhaps even the popular genre like that was kind of um where yeah. the headlines were being made and the cover of pc gamer uh, in the month that a big flight sim came out would be that flight sim and uh it would get 90 percent, and it would be a huge deal yeah and i i think you're probably right that all those people who play those are still playing flight sims and still yeah, having yeah. new cool flight sims to play it's just that that number is not dramatically increased whereas the number of people who want the new Wolfenstein <laughs> has increased since the days of Wolfenstein 3D. I said that I still I do miss light gun games, for example. Um, mm. Like I really enjoyed the old time crisis on the well, VR. VR's got got you sorted. <laughs> kind of, it's not as good. Generally, isn't as good. Like I've not, apart from perhaps Killing Floor, that, that was a really good VR shooting experience. Yeah, yeah. But I, think, I guess what I'm saying is, some sort of broader genre sense, like. Yeah, I I almost wouldn't um put those in the same box because like your time crisis was almost like a pattern recognition pa- pattern That's learning true. game and uh, yeah and also it had a just a, a great sense of humor and uh, a kind of slapstick element to it and also the fun kind of yeah. uh, like t- House of the Dead Two is drilled yeah, into my brain exactly like 100% right. drilled into my brain yeah for, uh, and that's that's the thing that's gone away I mean obviously it still exists in arcades and stuff and. I was also lamenting the loss of like Rock Band, which I loved and had an amazing mm. time with. Uh, that seems to have gone out of style, but 
you're going to find this stuff in arcades in Japan that is definitely going to be one yeah. of the Yeah, yeah, I suppose maybe my my view's too broad in that like practically things have come and gone, yeah. right? Like but, but you're right, a, they've moved to different places. But then again, I wonder to how much perception bias plays a role there. Mm. Because, you know, you know, our, um, rock band years were when we were in a cohabiting situation mm. that happened to be with each other at that time. But you know what I mean? Right? Like yeah, we're in a sure. situation where rock it's band made ideal. loads of sense. Yeah. And like, I've since sort of divested myself of my rock band stuff and, mm. you know, it's, it's, like uh, and that makes sense because like when am i going to do that again compared mm. to other things that have replaced it yeah yeah but i i didn't want i don't want to i don't want to assume that there aren't college kids somewhere mm. with a rock band set up that has been getting used for 10 years and will continue to get use yeah just because it, you know what i mean like yeah you don't know really to what extent they're not making new ones so maybe that's evidence that that demand has dried up but you know mm. 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 <laughs> good question a good question. Our next question comes from Thomas. And Thomas writes, into a room full of Thomases. Dear cool cats and chilly willies. So Horizon Zero Dawn, the frozen wilds has some nice looking snow, but doesn't sound quite right to me. What game have the best sound in snow? Cheers, Thomas. I would not be surprised if this is not the correct answer to this question, but I distinctly remember loving the sound of snow in Little Big Adventure. Mm. Um, maybe a little bit of adventure two actually, because I think that was the the sort of true three D one. Um, and you wake up in the snow at one point, and uh, it has for me like the defining quality of good snow sound is the squeak. You know, anyone can make the trudge, but when it also has a little bit of a squeak to it, you got to get the trudge of, and squeak. Yeah, <laughs> the trudge and squeak. Hmm. It's weird because like I can hear the sound in my head that it, but i associated with every video game that's ever had snow almost like a, a folio sound effect that you know all games seem to yeah i, yeah, I remember thing, right? skyrim having good trudge and squeak <laughs> but i don't know if that's true i remember um grim fandango having good a lovely snow sound but there's something really uh, you know oddly satisfying about how compressed the sound is in that old adventure game that has sort of <laughs> made that crunchy sound even more satisfying somehow mm. yeah i think it's uh, well i think snow is one of those things where if a game gets the entire atmosphere right mm. your brain can fill in certain gaps like for example the sound i think it can sort of yeah feel that right. subliminal squeak yeah it's, yes uh, the subliminal trudging squeak yes <laughs> um <laughs> The, like, I, I think of the sort of frozen northy bits of Skyrim as feeling cold, and yeah, therefore yeah, I definitely. assume that they have yeah. good trudge and squeak. Yeah, I did a good job of that, actually, considering the yeah. whole thing is, is cold and wintry. Right. Um, uh, I can't remember what the name of it is, but there's one, like, really northerly city that's just, it's just feels place. bitterly cold. Just yeah. the whole time you're there, you just kind of, you really want to be indoors. <laughs> yeah. Um, is the, <clears throat> the mage, school with the ruined winter hold perhaps. that sounds possible uh, but it's got that's that, definitely a place in skyrim like a really <laughs> shitty town at the base of this massive kind of wizard temple mm. <laughs> and uh, the whole i think they do it with like blizzards it's constantly like your vision is mm. obscured all the time yeah. it's always difficult just to move around and that's how they communicate that the inconvenience of the cold to you through just like yeah. restricting your vision and making it difficult just to get around what is Windhelm? is that also a city in skyrim yes it is yeah but i think where? that's that's a real shithole as well <laughs> <laughs> shitty towns in skyrim yeah <laughs> uh that's why i love skyrim though like yeah, yeah. They're, they're happy just to 
<laughs> send you to a shithole. You just <laughs> pump them nouns into the George R. R. Martin Madlibs generator <laughs> and you got yourself a town. Doesn't mean you want to live there. Yeah. Uh, one of my, two of my favorite places in games are in, um, in, uh, Skyrim though. There's the place on like the, the ice where you see the Northern Lights, um, mm-hmm. which is in the northeast of the map. And it's a very specific part where you get this sort of magical Northern Lights kind of type experience, like a proper Arctic Express. Uh, not that Arctic Express is a is a kind of hellscape. <laughs> the actually, magic you of the Arctic it. Express. You just uh, you look up into the sky in Skyrim, and there is the uncanny Tom Hanks <laughs> beaming back down upon you. Uh, there's um. We're also thankful for it. It's fun to read the history of that studio, which is now, I believe, I think it's been shut the fuck down because <laughs> they made the most horrifying. You, you CGI made the two spooky Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they they did it more than just that. You had one job, and it wasn't this. You should uh, check out some of their trailers for their other films. They all have the same problem. But worse. <laughs> uh, the Uncanny Valley was created by that studio. Anyway, um, yeah, also the, um, the underground, uh. Oh shit, Blackreach. Yeah. yeah. Below the That's Dwemer. Amazing. Everybody remembers exactly one. <laughs> what, a, what an amazing game. Like, yeah, we've yeah about that so came out in my I, first month of PC Gamer. Right. And I, that's still fucking nuts how good that game yeah. was. Yeah. I'm still subscribed to the Skyrim subreddit because there's something really nice about just seeing a group of people who still play this game and still mm. love it and still talk about it every day and just like showing oh, i just found this thing that i never found before or yeah yeah i got like it's constantly being re-released and maybe it's maybe i want to play it again i don't have time for that that can't be my christmas <laughs> game do, it can't be mean, skyrim i'd play on switch I'd, yeah I'd, man it is great. completely time for another one of them isn't it, it really is. yeah yeah it's been they, didn't they say like not that long years. ago that they haven't even started it like yeah hmm. i mean I appreciate it me a while jesus yeah, man. I remember, I remember when I was like living on a couch in my first month at PC Gamer and going home to my parents' house at the weekends to play Skyrim for like an entire weekend without sleeping and then coming back. <laughs> Jeez. Lovely, Time. crunchy, squeaky snow. Lovely, <laughs> crunchy, scrudgy, 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 scrudgy. It's Tweety and Tweety. Fucking hell. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Our final question, thank God, comes from Henry the Eighth. I am. <laughs> wow. Excellent. Which is like, will I am, but I don't get it. Mm. <laughs> That's the only difference between this and will I am. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Dear Careworn Bard Act. In episode 211, you answered a question about games you wished had been released at a different point, particular point in your life. This sparked a conversation about RPGs. It brought to mind a bugbear of mine. I've always loved the mechanics of RPGs, but I'm not a fan of the fantasy genre. Aside from the Fallout series, which I count in my top three of game series, well-produced non-fantasy RPGs seem to be non-existent. Is there a reason for these two facets of gaming to be inextricably linked? Have I somehow missed a raft of excellent RPGs with guns and vehicles or am I forever cursed to experience this genre through the lens of swords and sandals? Keep podding. Those pods. Henry VIII, I am. <laughs> well, there is definitely a sense to which this is not the case. Yeah, been a, <laughs> a bit of a, there have actually been a bunch of, um, uh, a bunch of sci-fi RPGs. For, um, I mean, it depends what you mean, he means by well-produced. Yeah. I mean, of, mm. of their time. I mean, Anachronox was a very good... Anachronox quirk. is great. I mean, uh, Mass Effect is an RPG, right? Mass Effect, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of an RPG. That. Very good science fiction. And you yes. mentioned KOTOR earlier. Yeah, KOTOR. 
another great example. I would suggest the Shadowrun. Yeah, those games. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is a little bit fantasy because it's like cyberpunk orcs. Yeah. It depends whether your problem is orcs or <laughs> medieval Europe. <laughs> basically yeah which, I, I think Shadowrun will get around that question I think that's a good counter example yeah and, it, I mean, and particularly it's a traditional CRPG in yeah. a lot of ways it's a cyberpunk RPG but it's a traditional CRPG so that's the experience you're looking for then actually I, I really enjoy yeah, seeing fantasy archetypes recontextualized in the science fiction environment it's one of the mm. reasons I love Destiny yes because it, um, it's very good at taking orcs, goblins, dragons and that sort of thing and actually and, you know Warhammer 40,000 right? well, yeah definitely like, yeah. yeah it's got it's got elves it's got orcs it's but, got um, yeah with all the you know what what does that look like transposed into a different technological environment mm-hmm. and um yeah i think loads of um loads of game worlds do a great job of doing that i mean i'm looking forward to cyberpunk from cd project red yeah i really am as well uh that could be a great modern example um if you like fallout you might like wasteland mm. wasteland yeah. 2 is um mm. a modern again fallout <laughs> i mean it's it's kind of like oldie sci-fi but it's still sci-fi it's still guns it's still, yeah you know, the Fallout games are a good example. Um, a Wait, bit more left field, but yeah. uh, Neo Scavenger, I think, is... Uh, mm. Graham is always oh, raving yeah, about yeah, how yeah. good that game is. And that's a like post-apocalyptic kind of RPG thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, God, loads of examples. I think there's, there's a there's a bigger question a bit here about why uh, fantasy suits the RPG. Yeah, I think some of it is down to just like almost your tools and what you're doing. So. Yeah. Having attaching RPG systems to guns has always been a tricky thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas That's swords been, and maces, you can't really explain why I do more damage as a high level character with guns. For sure, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like more accuracy, for sure. But like when I hit them, why would my bullet do more damage? <laughs> exactly. Like you should. Yeah, the tool is doing the work for you. Right? Whereas like in fantasy games, strength it makes sense that strength is a factor. Whereas yeah. in, in mm. modern situations, strength is not really a factor in your combat effectiveness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's a sort of there's a chicken and egg thing here, a chag, if you will, <laughs> about um, whether or not our game design happens to suit fantasy settings or fantasy settings created kinds of game design. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of these these mechanics are derived from Dungeons and & Dragons, and mm. Dungeons & Dragons was, I believe, in its first iteration, an attempt to to create the drama of a fantasy novel within a game system. Yes. So the the two things are to fantasy came first, related right. to yeah. each other. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it wasn't like I've created this game system. What kind of fiction works with it? Mm. It was, I, we want to, we want to make, we want to have a big old hobbit in our basement mm. right now. How do we do this? And, um, that was the problem it solved. So it's kind of telling that the, you know, the most popular sci-fi, uh, world is star wars which frankly shares a lot with fantasy yes, stuff absolutely. like there's swords and magic yeah, <laughs> sure. yeah star wars basically star wars is is such a weird set. i think one of the reasons for its enduring popularity is that it's so hard to categorize as a setting hmm. it's sort of it, it you really know it when you see it but it's really hard to pin down um star wars to either fantasy or sci-fi fully because it doesn't it really doesn't wholly fit one of them it's really easy to say and technically that. it's a long time ago so it, it can't is, be yeah. sci-fi. <laughs> exactly. But it's far, far away. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, in a galaxy. So, you know. Which is sci-fi. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> and that's one thing, it, it, you know, like we were saying earlier, maybe from a more mercantile point of view, but it, it, 
it supports lots of different kinds of fantasy all at the same time. Yeah. Because it can be a military yeah. fantasy. It can be a If you like spaceships fantasy. or swords, you're going to like this. <laughs> yeah. a big audience. <laughs> or even just like gangster movies. Like, yes. It, 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 it's like many genre fictions within one like metafiction. That's kind of what Star Wars does so well. Yeah. 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 Um, which is one Kotal works, right? Yeah. Like Kotal works is because I mean, I've always thought applying damage to lightsabers was a tricky thing. Tricky yeah. even than yeah. swords. Yeah, tricky can't, even can't than get guns. away from that. But nonetheless. Kotal has like. Fibro blades. Yeah. That's what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and Cortosis weave. Which is the material that, that resists uh, lightsabers. Uh, yeah. That's how they explain it in Kotal. Is that an Yggdrasil though? Yggdrasil, <laughs> hmm? uh, um, I might pronounce that horribly. Like the little animals, they're in the extended fiction that you. It's Alamiri. Oh, right. Okay. There we go. <laughs> what, what is an Yggdrasil? That's I- Yggdrasil top- is the. Oh, world that's tree. a Norse. It's the a Norse, Norse world, world tree. tree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You think, Why it, did I confuse those? Well, things? because they're both, they're both weird fantasy words that begin with a Y. Y yeah, and then Teldrassil is in World of Warcraft, right? That's the giant tree in... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the Yggdrasil of World of Warcraft. Salamari, you Salamari, which is the, yeah, which is the, 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 yeah, the force-eating force. salamanders. Yes. You sort the, of like, you have one and a Jedi can't do shit to you. Yeah. Look at my salamander. And then you're basically Blofeld, which is what I was yeah, about exactly. that. Like, <laughs> rotate in your chair, you've got they have, salamari. They have discreetly axed them from the new canon. Right. For really good reason. Okay. Yeah. Because all the old Star Wars expanded universe ever had to do was have a villain slowly rotate in a chair and be like, but I'm holding a salamander. I'm holding the world Fuck tree. You do, Luke Skywalker. Um, you but there's a lovely that. moment when, um, Thrawn, who's like one of the, oh, well, yeah. that shows up in season three of Star Wars Rebels. Mm. And there's a, like a dual carving of two Salamiri kind of entwined on his mantelpiece. Mm. And they're not in the fiction anymore, but they did mm. a little tribute. Oh, uh, I see. Nice. Yeah, I see. That show's really good, even though it's a show for kids. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil. The world a man suddenly rotates with the world tree in his arms. <laughs> suddenly, you can't do shit. You can't do shit because it's amazing. <laughs> it's everything but nothing at the same time. <laughs> you just disappear into the branches of his world tree. Uh, Sci-fi RPGs. Was the- oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, I think we answered that. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, I think you will find... Like, I, you know, I do think... Also, I mean, I think maybe there is another, a different genre of thing here, which is that, um, fantasy tends towards the kind of epic storytelling. In the context that this question is referring to, which was the games we wish were released earlier in our lives, and that took the direction we wish there were more of these massive RPG series when we were younger and had more time Mm. to really sink into them. And that's because fantasy tends to lend itself to these kinds of like huge stories. Not that sci-fi doesn't, and sci-fi, of course, does, but I think, um, like, maybe, maybe what I'm saying is wrong. Basically, what I'm thinking is that sci-fi tends to have a sort of more of kind of like a world-building aspect, or like a kind of smaller, more discrete parcels of kind of internally coherent, just rug beer can up down the microphone cable <laughs> type, um, like, you can imagine living there type setting, whereas fantasy is more about having kind of like an epic fable woven around your particular character. And that fits that kind of medieval fantasy better that however might be complete bollocks. (laughs) 
trying to think basically i was trying to think about the difference between like star trek and star wars right like star trek star wars is big fable fantasy and star trek is discrete tv bite-sized episodes world you live in fantasy yeah i was trying to compare like um raymond d feist's kind of magician uh books and space operas and like mm. ian m banks stuff yeah i was thinking about ian m banks as well yeah. so i was thinking about that because like yeah the culture stories are big right but people within those are yeah rarely but, heroes yeah. yes they are like it would be hard to it would be hard, ironically, to make the game of Player of Games mm. <laughs> because it's about the kind of sci-fi is a lot about the. This is what I'm trying to say. Sci-fi is a lot about the resolution of a set of systems in a, a big universe that kind of makes sense within the logic set up by the fiction. There's very rarely a kind of kind of moralistic or or sort of for the sake of it deus ex machina to rescue the hero in like hard sci-fi for example right yeah i think there's an obsession with the hero's journey and fantasy yeah. that doesn't necessarily translate into a lot of uh equally epic and well thought out science fiction yeah and i guess the hero's journey is the, the definition of a video game plot mm. right but also star wars like uh that's that's the star wars's biggest fantasy element is yeah. the fact that it has the hero's journey mm. at its core even though actually i think that's often been overstated like i think people have taken the fact that george lucas cites joseph campbell mm. as evidence that that is the only thing guiding star wars but actually that's obviously not the case because he was equally influenced by world war ii movies sure. yeah yeah and loads of other things and, and you look at like Luke's Luke Skywalker's journey in that film is not a traditional hero's journey mm. because he is like resolutely decentered from the second movie onwards where like Empire Strikes Back Luke sits in a swamp with a muppet <laughs> while the char- the other characters that you care about just do stuff yeah. for a film and he doesn't you know, you know what yeah. I mean? like it's about him but it's not really about him which is already on destabilizing that traditional kind of like we are going to follow this character as they go on a trip yeah there's some there's some elements to it like is it's like he's got his call to action he's resisting it and mm. grappling with it that's kind of what the second movie is about for him isn't it um but but it's not it's unconventional definitely especially when he gets into the third act and there's some disillusionment with luke which is was what i find really interesting about yeah it. luke uh, yeah uh, yeah man this is a different podcast again but like yeah, yeah. yeah like i would say that sci-fi tends to challenge a lot of the assumptions that fantasy builds its big crescendos mm. on top of which is neither good nor bad it's just a thing and maybe makes fantasy a better fit for the kinds of big video game stories that we're thinking about when we say things like Baldur's Gate series that kind of thing yeah in a funny way uh you're saying like uh it'd be hard to make a game of player of games and I agree uh but maybe one of the closest things we have is Pyre where hmm. it is about playing a game. There is a game within the game that is the, the sort of context oh, yeah. for his conflicts and the different factions within it have their own personalities and backstories and stuff. And increasingly that is reflected in how they play that game. Like in Pyre, yeah. it's, it's maybe a bit more literal in that, like the actual rules change, like the, the slime guys or the snake guys. I can't remember <laughs> what their theme is, but they like leave trails. And so their auras work differently to other things, which is just changing the rules of the game. Whereas in player of the game, player of games, if I recall, uh, play of the game by Ian <laughs> M. Banks, Blizzard and Ian M. Banks, three sixty no scope, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now well, you're yeah, emperor. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if only had thought to choose Reaper and just do his <laughs> ultimate in the middle of the board. <laughs> Man, that, I just, that fluffed mercy rares really fucked his <laughs> like exactly. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, I take really, it back. Overwatch is the best. <laughs> Please, somebody, somebody, make sense of that. And they, the alternate like <laughs> cover for Ian M. Banks' Player of Games, where it's it, the man Ian M. Banks getting 
player of the game. <laughs> <laughs> that is all of the questions we have time for this week. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the Creighton Crowbar, you can do so. Questions at CreightonCrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at Creighton Crowbar and hang out with our lovely Discord community on Discord, obviously, which you will find the details for on our website at CreightonCrowbar.com. That's how that works. Uh, this episode, as with all the main episodes of the Creighton Crowbar, is supported by our Patreon, which you can find out more details about patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. Every penny you give us for this goes towards either supporting the main PC gaming podcast, but also our spin-offs like uh, Miniatures Monthly, which will be returning pretty soon at this point, or um, the new ITV Poirot podcast we do, because of course we do, um, which is a lot of fun. That's Little Grey Cells. That's happening every week. Um, there's also the Bloodborne series, which we apologize. It's had a bit of an extended hiatus due to just crazy work and things, but it'll be back hopefully pretty soon. If you... What else do we do? There's more. We've got some cool stuff coming before Christmas as well. If you would like to check out the episodes on YouTube, you can do so at youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar. And as ever, if you you know aren't interested in the Patreon, but you would like to help us out or support the podcast, one of the things you can do is leave a review or a rating on iTunes because it does help punt us up them charts. And everyone likes that. Everyone loves being punted up a chart. Take it from me. <laughs> Otherwise, you can follow us as individuals if you like. I'm on Twitter at C Thurston. That's C T H U R S T E N. Tom, I am I Tom Senior. I'm at P C D U D O, which is L E D O. I Tom Francis. I'm at Pentadact. P E N T A D A C T. Two times in this episode, I've said Tom and looked directly between you two, therefore not making a decision. And both times, Tom Senior has taken the initiative. Oh no! What does it mean? Oh, it just means you've got a higher initiative score than Tom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening, listening, everybody.